now it's two minutes after nine. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm sorry for that. Uh, can we start our meeting uh, and uh, check with the team that is supporting us from parliament, uh, whether we do have honorable members who have logged in to form a quorum uh, before we go to the department. Ms. Machalamba. Good morning and thank you, Chair. Yes, we do have a quorum. Present is Dr. Lomo, Mr. Munyai, Ms. Gela, Dr. Jacobs, Dr. Harvard, Ms. Kwakobe, Ms. Wilson, Ms. Ishmael, Dr. Tembekwayo, Ms. Chirua, Ms. Sukers, and Mr. Imam Sheikh. I've received an apology from Mr. Sokacha. He is not well, and Mr. Van Staden is attending another meeting, and also Ms. Zeke. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much, honorable uh, members. Uh, we do have, however, a, an apology of Honorable Van Staten, but he sent me a question that you'd like to pose, and I've incorporated it in part of my. Uh, members uh, pardon us, but uh, I hope then to start. Ms. Machalamba, if you can then flight the agenda for us. Ms. Machalamba, can we have the agenda? Thank you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will do some opening remarks closer to item number five. Uh, if maybe we can just get to hear from the team of the minister uh, if they are here. And then uh, we will, uh, please, honorable members, we are allocated up to one o'clock. I would like us to remain maybe half past 12, quarter to one, to just sort out item number eight. Uh, and maybe a seven and eight together. But let me then get um, uh, the, the minister, deputy minister, or whoever is leading the delegation uh, to indicate then before they make the presentation, I'll just make uh, some opening remarks. Uh, may I therefore give it to the department for now? Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, uh, Honorable Members. Uh, my name is Tobani Mateza. I'm the Chief of Staff of the Office of uh, Minister for Health. Uh, Minister will join uh, shortly. She's just struggling with uh, the network. She's trying to join now. Thank you, Chair. Uh, uh, but then, uh, other than the Minister, the DTG is the DG is here to help Telezi. Can you then to help Telezi? Oh, there's the minister joined. Oh, the DTG. Can you then tell us of your delegation? And then uh, <coughs> it does not become the task of the minister. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. Um, uh, good morning to the Honorable Members, the Deputy Minister, um, uh, and, uh, and uh, the colleagues, uh, support colleagues from Parliament and colleagues uh, from the Department. As mentioned, the Minister will be joining us. Uh, I think I saw the Deputy Minister as well earlier on. But in the team, um, uh, we are, uh, the senior managers are here. I've got the Chief Financial Officer, uh, Mr. Ian van der Merve. I've got Dr. Anban Pile, um, uh, who is a DDG in the department. Um, uh, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And I'm also um, uh, uh, joined by the Chief of Staff, uh, the, the, the Parliamentary Liaison Officer, Ms. Uh, Ngubo, uh, the head of the DG's office. And we will be also be joined by Dr. Aquina Tulare uh, as part of the delegation, uh, and also Dr. Manzi, who's a media liaison officer in the uh, in the office of the minister. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair, thank you very much. I do notice now that you have been joined by the minister. Honorable Munyai, the mic is on. Sorry, I wanted to uh, really extend my apology. I was involved in the accident yesterday, so if you see me getting out, it's not out of disrespect of this important session. Yeah, but Honorable Munai, we hope that you do get attended to. It's not that an accident. We didn't get a report that you have been seen by a doctor. If you have not, Please do so, even if you think we are not injured. We heard about the injury of the car. Uh, please do see someone who can also confirm that you are well. Uh, we are actually giving our support to that process. It's noted, Honorable Munyai. Uh, Honorable Minister, thank you for joining us. Uh, members, can we then adopt this agenda? It's mainly for two items. Uh, is an update from the department and our own um, program of action, of course, supported by the minutes that we need to do, the minutes of the last meeting. If I can get an indication from honorable members that we do accept that we go through this item the way they are presented. Can I get that confirmation? Yes. Yes. Honorable Thank members. Sheikh Imam supports okay. it. Honorable Imam. Honourable Moves, thank you very much. Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, uh, Minister. We'll go to our presentation and the update. But uh, I just thought uh, I will make these uh, opening comments, uh, which is item number one, as we start. That uh, we do have our legislative obligation to actually an oversight on your work as a department and you as an executive authority. Uh, I wanted to also inform my honorable members here that uh, in preparation for this meeting, honorable members, I did write a letter to the minister as part of the invitation where I was making specific requests for him to cover uh, in this uh, meeting. Uh, one is that the, the minister in the previous, uh, uh, in the previous uh, meetings with us uh, when he was asked about the J&J vaccines, did mention that um, this is still part of the uh, clinical trial vaccine uh, vials that were left behind. So we are not paying for them as yet. Uh, but going forward now, it looks like it's going to be a different, different uh, issue. 
So we, we note the announcement made last week uh, that um, there's 51 million vaccines that have to date been secured. The minister will have no doubt agreed that he will have to give us a bit of more details on this information as a portfolio committee to also be able to play our oversight. One, uh, it is against this background, Minister, that we'd like to know how many vaccines are being procured from J&J and at what cost of each. Uh, how many vaccines are being procured from uh, uh, Pfizer and uh, what cost? Uh, if there are any other procurement coming in from any other source, we would like to also know that. Uh, the minister uh, will have to confirm to the portfolio committee that yes, the AstraZeneca and Serum Institute of India and the cost of those vaccines have been taken care of in terms of refund for the 500,000 that was still remaining there. And uh, we are also have received a million uh, vaccine payment of those that went to, into uh, AU. Uh, we would like to get that uh, uh, agreed and confirmed. We would like to uh, have a minister. We, we've heard that the agreements that have been entered into uh, enormous clauses that are part of those agreements. Can the minister give us details of such clauses? Uh, specifically, uh, the minister explaining to the, uh, the extent of the indemnity that is sought by the vaccine manufacturing companies. Uh, if these clauses are enormous, uh, honorable minister, were these negotiated and what was the outcome of such negotiations? We have also been advised that the government is now required to form a no-fault compensation fund. Now, what is the purpose of this fund, Honorable Minister? Uh, will the manufacturers also make any contribution towards such a fund? Uh, what are the benefits and disadvantages of such a fund, if you do have? Uh, we'd also like Minister to share with us details regarding the formation of such a fund and when a policy governing such a fund will be made public, uh, including how the government will ensure that this is independent and these decisions are credible and can then stand any legal scrutiny. Maybe I might as well add now, which uh, is part of what Honorable Imam Sheikh was our fund student, which he sent me that uh, this temporary suspension, Honorable Minister of the J&J, by the FDA and therefore your announcement last night, will it have any impact on the vaccine rollout in the country? Uh, the time span, we note that uh, the scientists are meeting, preparing to advise you. Uh, you probably don't know, maybe you do know when they will come back to you with uh, an advice to say you can then lift the pause. So uh, we need to just send this minister because uh, as an oversight, some of these questions that we are asking you are issues that are out there. Now, if members ask us, members of the society, we don't have uh, any answers, then we don't look like we're a real oversight. And then some of these ministers in the the history of our country tells us that we need to be probing these, as you know, where we come from, including the start of the COVID-19 and the challenge that we found. So I hope that uh, this will be covered in your uh, remarks to us and in your presentation. And if not, we will have to get uh, followed up by uh, parliamentary questions to you that you must actually bring. So this is why I specifically wrote that invitation to you and requested that uh, I put them all down. It's because uh, we will need to be recording this, that as parliament, we did engage and you did ask this question that the minister 
had to answer these questions for us to go forward. Let me then leave it at that, Honorable Minister, and say with your team, we will be giving you a space right up to at least half past 12. Minister, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee, the Deputy Minister, Director General, and other senior officials in the department, and um, uh, all, all the members of the Portfolio Committee and uh, um, the uh, officials from Parliament. Uh, I must start by uh, indicating that the, I will give preliminary uh, comments in response to your uh, introduction. Then the Director General <clears throat> has prepared a presentation to be shared with the members. And I therefore want to start by acknowledging the fact that uh, uh, I, I have received your letter as the Honorable Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee uh, on the 12th of April, 2021. And uh, I can confirm that uh, I received the list of questions from the Honorable Chairperson that seeks details on the vaccine acquisition process. The Chair and the Honorable Members are aware that whilst we have uh, throughout the negotiation process stated that we have entered into non-disclosure and confidentiality agreements. We however acknowledge the constitutional obligation to account to Parliament and provide um, the responses to honorable members as asked. Members, uh, um, sorry, the below are the direct responses to the questions that have been uh, raised uh, in the letter by the honorable, the chairperson. The Department of Health has procured 31 million vaccines uh, from Johnson & Johnson. An initial agreement for 11 million vaccines was signed and the initial purchase price has been paid. This agreement has included, had included an option for the department to call for 20 more million vaccines after the signing of the initial agreement. This option was immediately exercised to ensure that we secure enough vaccines. Hence, we are now procuring a total of 31 million vaccines from Johnson & Johnson. The conditions of the first agreements have been met. In relation to the second agreement, Johnson & Johnson had put a precondition uh, that uh, uh, a no-fault no compensation regulations uh, must be published by the 30th of April 2021. I must state that this condition has also been made by Pfizer we are pleased that yesterday the NCCC accepted the recommendation for the draft regulations to be published for public comments in relation to the no-fault uh, compensation fund. This means that South Africans will have an opportunity to make their inputs and comments on the draft regulations. This will take a period of about five days. We wish to emphasize that we recognize that this period is shorter than the usual processes that have been used for normal public consultation 
uh, that of course uh, is followed by parliament. However, we believe that uh, it gives us an uh, opportunity to implement the vaccine uh, adverse events compensation scheme at the same time as we start to roll out the vaccines uh, which uh, we'll be expecting uh, in the next few days. So let's say, let me say next week. It's important also that to, uh, to, to us as government, as we will not only be complying with the terms of the agreement, but uh, it will also be uh, a guarantee and assurance to each and every citizen that uh, uh, their rights are fully protected during the process of the vaccination and that there's sufficient recourse that, uh, um, uh, in the place, that, that are in place should the experience of adverse events uh, okay, whilst they are being vaccinated. <clears throat> in the structure of the fund, there has not been any uh, undertaking by any of the manufacturers to make a contribution. So we believe, therefore, that this will be mainly a government-funded uh, exercise. We can therefore say comfortably that we'll be taking into account um, and processing all the public comments that we receive so that we are in a position to formally gazette the final uh, regulation by the 22nd of April 2020, next week. Honorable Chairperson, as we have publicly announced, we intend for the no-fall compensation fund to be independent and have a credibility and skill that is required. I'm also pleased to inform you that we have now finalized the process of identifying a seasoned, retired uh, uh, judge to chair the scheme. In fact, because of the agent press briefing that we had last night, I had to postpone a planned meeting uh, with the judge as we were supposed to finalize the formal appointment process and all other administrative matters that are linked thereto. But I can now formally advise that the retired Chief Justice Sandy Lengovo has graciously agreed to assist us with the mammoth task of chairing this first uh, of its kind uh, fund. We believe that his extensive experience as a jurist, including having headed the highest court on the land, uh, the Constitutional Court, and his recent experience in the health-related complexities as a health market inquiry makes him an ideal uh, uh, candidate uh, <clears throat> to, be, to be able to oversee all that, uh, that, that, that all claims and uh, processes are, fo uh, are followed by the NFC fund to uphold the principles of fairness, transparency, equity, and protect the constitutional rights of our citizens. This therefore shows our preparedness that whilst we have fully indemnified the manufacturers against any third party claims, we also put in place sufficient mechanisms to protect our, our citizens. Honorable Chairperson, as part of my accountability to this committee, I'm also obliged to uh, advise the committee that, <clears throat> excuse me, that after receiving the second agreement from Johnson & Johnson, based on the same terms as the previous agreement and the additional precondition uh, that uh, had been discussed and agreed to between uh, them and the department, we have unfortunately now received a formal email uh, from J&J advising us that they would not sign off the 20 million doses until they get a letter from the Minister of Trade and Industry and competition 
which expresses support for the local investment that they've made in Aspen. We've been taken aback by this as there are clauses in the agreement that express this support and acknowledge that this production will not just be limited to South Africa and the continent, but also targeted for the global markets. Honorable members are also aware that a few weeks ago, the president led a delegation to Aspen in Kabecha. Our support for this production uh, taking place in our own country was publicly made. Now, as it stands, we are of the view that the commitment has been expressed in full, as it's indicated in the uh, agreement that we have signed. However, Johnson and Johnson has now told us that if we don't give them this letter, and to them, uh, we have not shown our political will to support them. I mentioned this to the Honorable uh, Chairperson to illustrate uh, to Honorable Members some of the difficult and sometimes unreasonable terms or preconditions that we have had to navigate through. I can also assure, that, uh, uh, the, assure you that uh, we have not been sleeping on the job. The fact that we previously did not disclose to Parliament the blow-by-blow -blow details of the intense negotiations was because we're prioritizing the closing of the agreements in order to secure the vaccines that we require for, uh, for us to reach population immunity. So there have been a lot of <clears throat> negotiations that have had to go on without us being able to discuss or divulge anything to the public whilst we're trying to get to, uh, to make progress in the acquisition of our vaccines. Another classic illustration of these terms that we've had to deal with that were too risky was a precondition for the supply of uh, vaccines that we received from Pfizer towards the end of our negotiations. This precondition stated that they wanted to have the sole discretion to determine additional terms and guarantees for us to fulfill indemnity uh, obligations. This condition posed a potential risk to our assets and fiscals. We expressed our concern to them, so did Treasury as the department uh, response to for protecting the fiscals. Uh, sorry, uh, the department responsible for uh, protecting the fiscals. This led to further delays in con concluding of the agreement and meant a delay in the delivery schedule we were negotiating at the time. After intense negotiations by our teams, Pfizer finally considered uh, to removing this problematic uh, uh, term and the final agreement signed does not contain this and therefore we are relieved. And therefore this obligation to have uh, a, a determination at the sole discretion of the manufacturer not, does not bind South Africa. As government, we have found ourselves in a precarious position of having to choose between saving our citizens' lives and risking putting the country's assets into private companies' heads. And with all the above complexities of negotiating, I want to state up front that our firm commitment throughout as government has, has, has been we, that we do not neglect our constitutional obligation to protect lives and health of our people. In response to the question therefore asked about the different vaccines, the cost of the vaccine from Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson is 10 US dollars per dose. The cost of the AstraZeneca vaccine was 5.35 dollars per dose. With regards to the AstraZeneca refund, 
I can confirm that in March already, we received a payment for the full AU 1 million uh, doses which we sold to them. The amount paid was uh, 5,250,000 US dollars. This was the actual cost of the vaccines minus the freight. Last week, we were then refunded by the Serum Institute of India of the 500,000 doses that were not delivered in the amount of 2.675 million US dollars. We're therefore happy that we have avoided what could have been viewed as a fruitless or wasteful expenditure. Honorable Chairperson, it is also important for me to also mention that the Johnson & Johnson and the Pfizer agreements have non-refundability clauses. The agreement specifically states that the down payments that have, been, that have been made in advance by the department shall not be refundable by the manufacturer to us by, uh, uh, in any circumstances. This is another onerous term that we have had to settle for. And to give members comfort, we did check with other jurisdictions if these terms had come through in the agreements and it appears to be the case. We are aware, for example, that the agreements that have been signed with the African Union platform are similar to what we have signed. And in our consultations with the COVAX facility, we found out that a number of these onerous conditions, preconditions, were also experienced by them. Honorable Chairperson, it gives me pleasure to also announce that we have received a formal acceptance and confirmation from Pfizer to increase their doses from 20 million to 30 million. This therefore means that we can now guarantee that the number of people that will be vaccinated with the Pfizer increase now from 10 million to 15 million. I'm also pleased that Pfizer has also given us a weekly delivery schedule for quarter two. The, currently, the current weekly schedule, uh, delivery schedule for quarter two under the existing supply agreement is confirmed as follows. On the 3rd of May, we receive 325,260 uh, vaccines. The following week on the 10th, we received the same amount, 325,260. The following week, the 17th, on the 5th of, of uh, May uh, 2021, we get the same amount, 325,260,000. On the 24th, we received the same amount, 325,260. Then on the 31st of May, that the amount is almost double. We will then get 636,480. The following week, 7th of June, 636,480. And 14th, another 636,480. 21st of June, uh, and then uh, on the 28th of June, 636,000 for the quarter two. We'll an update for the following quarters. And this means that from Pfizer, the total doses to be received in the month of May will be 1 million and will be 2 million I must emphasize since already paid for. The further 10 million doses committed this week will mean that these doses 
doses that uh, these doses to be supplied. I'm very pleased that Pfizer committed to supply uh, uh, additional amounts on quarter two and or quarter three, and this is based on our plea uh, to them that to, they need to increase these doses so that we can get as many South Africans vaccinated as quickly as possible before we experience the third wave as a country. So Pfizer has, in response, committed to an additional 2 million in quarter two on top of what I've just mentioned, third quarter, starting in July. This would mean that Pfizer vaccines and in quarter three, we'll have a total of 16.5 million vaccines from Pfizer. <coughs> then in quarter four, we'll receive the balance of 6.9 million vaccines. Honorable Chairperson, Johnson & Johnson has now formally confirmed that we receive 1.1 million doses in the last... I must also mention, honorable members, that in the light of the yesterday's announcement by the... to hold the Johnson & Johnson... Once we have a clear decision in public at large, as we announced, rather than an intention to uh, completely withdraw the rollout, we remain confident that as government, when uh, 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 and we are happy that almost 300,000 people have been vaccinated in the Johnson and Johnson. A vaccine in South Africa. We have not received any of the reports of adverse events that have been that have been caused by this vaccine, I'm including that of clots. That there, there hello. Might, there might be an issue with the minister's connection. We're struggling to hear him. Uh, honourable, minister, honourable minister, for the past three. A minute. I was thinking it is my connection here where I was. I kept on losing you. It did not lose you completely, but there were times when you were reporting on this amount and this. Just go back maybe about three minutes um, of that. That is where I really was struggling, but I did not want to interfere because I didn't know whether it was me alone. Now I'm here from Honorable Kwahube. Probably then let's let's do so. Then. Chair, sorry, Chair. Maybe the minister. My to help. Maybe the minister can do what, Honorable Jacobs? I'm going to switch off his video if it is a challenge uh, to assist with us being able to hear him or to, for him to make his presentation. <clears throat> yeah, I see you, Honorable okay. Jacobs. We have your video off. Uh, maybe this is an opportune moment to say, yes, we should switch our videos off if we are struggling, but there's been a request from Parliament that we make our videos on when we make our presentations or ask questions and also including the minister when he's talking because this meeting is going live on some national media. But minister, if we can't improve, then we will accept that you switch off for now. But let me leave it at that. Thanks. Go through your
Honorable Chairperson, let me check whether I am audible at this point. If not, I was going to request that I go through some of our, my colleagues' phones and then get through to uh, the, 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 the portfolio committee. If I can be heard, I can continue. Fine for now. We are fine. We can hear you now. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. I will, I will proceed. But if I do get to cut, I will then uh, use the telephone of one of my colleagues so that I can connect through. But let me just quickly go through the issues that you could have missed. Uh, the point I think that you uh, we were at was that uh, uh, um, at this point it gives us pleasure to uh, announce that we have received a formal acceptance and confirmation from Pfizer to increase their doses from 20 million to 30 million. Therefore, this gives us a guarantee that the number of people that we wanted to vaccinate will then move from 10 million to 15 million using the Pfizer vaccine. And they've given us a schedule for delivery. And this schedule means that uh, for the every week, beginning on the 3rd of May, we will receive 325,260 vaccines. That number will be received weekly until the, until the 24th of uh, May 2021. Starting from the 31st of um, May 2021, we'll receive 636,480 every week for the next four weeks until the 28th of uh, June 2021. So this means that in May, we will then have received 1.937 million vaccines in May and then 2.54 million uh, vaccines uh, by the end of June. The, this is based on the first 20 million that we have uh, signed for with Pfizer. But for the further 10 million, Pfizer has indicated that they will be giving um, uh, an additional 2 million doses in the first, uh, in, uh, in May, and that uh, <clears throat> this number will increase now to uh, uh, 8 million in the uh, quarter three, that is from July onwards. And then uh, in the last quarter uh, in, uh, 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 by October, we'll get another 6.5 million. So this means that uh, uh, in quarter two, uh, in, in quarter, uh, by quarter three, we'll have a total of 16.5 million vaccines from Pfizer. And then, in, uh, whereas in the, <clears throat> this quarter, it will go up to 6.5 million Pfizer vaccines. Now, that's a huge boost for us, which is what we needed to get uh, increased numbers earlier, because we need to, to vaccinate as many people as possible before we even get the second, uh, you know, wave, the third wave coming up on us. In terms of Johnson & Johnson, 1.1 million doses will be received next week. And that uh, because of the announcement yesterday, by FDA, we will be in touch with uh, Johnson & Johnson to understand how the subsequent rollout is going to be. So we will be announcing that as soon as that is made available. We must also indicate that uh, we, uh, we are confident that, uh, that uh, 300,000 people that have been vaccinated already, uh, they have not reported any of the side effects uh, or adverse events that have uh, caused the vaccines. To, to be halted, and that uh, includes the, the clotting uh, disorders. Now, as we have said as well, that the numbers of uh, the, 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 the 
the uh, halting is a temporary uh, arrangement, which is a precautionary measure uh, tonight uh, uh, to Johnson and Johnson and various other players in the world <clears throat> to be able to get a, a guidance. We have also noticed that the report uh, from Johnson and Johnson was that they would halt uh, temporarily the uh, um, uh, vaccination program in Europe. So we are really trying to align with the, uh, what is happening globally and take precautions for all our people to, to make sure our people are safe. Having said so, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to then indicate that on the presentation, we have uh, uh, looked at a few areas of review and amongst the issues that you will notice will be an indication that uh, uh, the major focus of our uh, uh, vaccination is going to take age as the major risk factor where the comorbidities and senior, seniority in age are a factor. And then of course, coming from 40 years upwards are some of the factor, uh, factors that are important. And beyond that, we also have asked the provinces to give us the, uh, their revised schedule. So there will be some provinces that will indicate that they might spill over to the early part of next year in the vaccination program. We will then say uh, at this point that uh, the uh, numbers of vaccination sites uh, we have uh, will share them in this uh, list and that of course um, uh, we just need the members to be aware that we continue to refine this because it's both public and private uh, area sites which we need to ultimately agree that's where vaccination will be taking place with that uh, chairperson um, thank you very much for uh, giving us the opportunity i'd like the um, director general to be given the opportunity to um, uh, do the presentation, and then we'll then look at the questions of uh, a clarification. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, Minister. We can now go straight to the DG, Dr. Telezi. Uh, honorable members, I have already given you a list of your names uh, and the list of how you answering, asking your questions. Please look at that and try and get to, when you get to that slot, open your video when you're asking the question. Uh, DG, thank you very much. Uh, th uh, thank you very much, um, uh, Honorable Chair, Honorable Members, our Minister, Deputy Minister, colleagues, um, uh, good morning. Uh, we will do um, a presentation that will cover the following topics. We'll deal with um, the epidemiology and surveillance. We'll then uh, spend more time on the update on the vaccine rollout and we'll touch a bit on the establishment of the Northcourt compensation, which the minister has covered very well. Some of the issues uh, that will be in the presentation have been covered by the minister, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on those slides. In, uh, in terms of epidemiology and surveillance, <clears throat> uh, basically what we are showing here is that um, uh, the epidemic currently is at a plateau phase. Um, and we are actually seeing uh, infections that are going, uh, the, our plateau phase is, is starting to go even uh, below uh, the plateau phase uh, after the, uh, the first wave. Uh, we're seeing the same with deaths and hospitalizations. So the black are the new cases, um, uh, the gray shaded area are the hospitalizations and the, the red are the deaths. Um, so this is where we are for now. But also looking at the, the, the um, positivity rates and the number of tests that we are doing, 
uh, we've seen that our positivity rate has uh, really dropped. Um, it's sitting between 3.8% um, and uh, up to about 4.4, uh, 4.5%. I mean, sometime early in January, we had positivity rates sitting at around 31 and 32%. That was at the peak of the second wave. So this is really what we call the low transmission levels uh, of the uh, epidemic uh, currently. Then looking at the different uh, provinces, uh, the picture is the same, but would like to, um, to show uh, the portfolio committee that uh, we've had some cluster infections in the Northern Cape. That is uh, the, the light green line where we've got a bit of a spike earlier in March. These were the cluster infections in the Namakwa districts, uh, mainly in the schools and some mines, and there were also some in the taverns. But our response teams um, managed to get in there and deal with those cases, did contact tracing, put people in quarantine, and now um, it has actually uh, settled uh, in that area. So this uh, looks at number of new cases uh, per 100,000 uh, per day. And we're comparing from 15 March. We can see that the Northern Cape, uh, um, that's where uh, it was the only province that had more than five cases per 100,000 per day. Uh, and on the 22nd of March, this had increased to 8.1 cases per 100,000 per day. Uh, after the interventions by the 29th of March, uh, this had decreased to 5.5 cases per 100,000 per day. And then on the 5th of April, this uh, had gone down to 5.4 uh, um, uh, cases uh, per 100,000 per day. Uh, so it's still the only province that, uh, that is um, having more than five cases per 100,000 per day. All the other provinces are really at low transmission levels. This we are monitoring very closely so that we are able to pick up if there are areas that are starting to show some surges uh, in the new infections. So similarly, uh, if we look at uh, the deaths, um, uh, the recorded deaths, we can see that if we look at the red line, um, uh, uh, during the second wave, uh, where our deaths went much more higher as compared to the first wave. Similarly with the cases, which is the black line, but uh, these have now gone down. We are still a bit worried. Uh, the deaths, uh, normally they lag uh, behind uh, in terms of uh, uh, responding. So they still, though they are decreasing, uh, uh, we will go through that in the next few slides but they are still above uh, the, uh, the predicted deaths. We'll only start to, uh, to settle when the red line is equal or it's at least below that uh, predicted deaths, which is the green line. So in summary, in summary uh, from uh, our weekly analysis, um, uh, as at the 11th of April, 2021, there was a slight decrease in new cases uh, of, uh, 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 there was a slight decrease of 0.58%. We call, we'll compare the seven days with the previous seven days. So for example, here we're, com uh, we're comparing the week 29 March to 4 April with the week 5 to 11 April. And when we do the 14 day uh, 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 comparison, um, in the 14 days, the, the decrease was actually 7% in terms of the new cases. This is the best way of monitoring the infections as looking at daily infection fluctuations uh, is very uh, unpredictable and cannot give you a true picture. It's better if you use um, uh, the, 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 the average in terms of uh, uh, the moving average. In terms of the uh, mortality, um, uh, uh, the, uh, the COVID-19 related deaths uh, in the reporting period, which is 5 to 11 April, uh, declined by 3.4% as compared to the, 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 the previous week. 
However, the 14-day comparison showed a decline of 50.7% compared to the preceding 14 days. Cumulative case fatality ratio is 3.42% with the four provinces, Eastern Cape, Gauteng, Guazulu-Natal, and Western Cape, contributing 82% to all reported COVID-19 deaths. In terms of hospitalizations, uh, based on DATCOV hospital surveillance system, uh, uh, we had um, a, a decline of 33.8% patients uh, in, uh, if we compare those uh, weeks uh, in terms of the people that were admitted. And as, as of the 11th of April, we had 3,614 patients admitted across the country, of which 17% were in ICU, and of those, 52% were on ventilation. In terms of healthcare worker infections, there were 14 healthcare workers who tested positive in the reporting period. There was no death recorded amongst the healthcare workers in the reporting period. And then cumulatively, we've had 55,439 healthcare workers that tested positive, and, and of which 14% required admission, and, and, and 85% were of those were discharged, and 84 are currently admitted uh, as at the 11th. Healthcare workers, they constitute 3.5% of, uh, of all cases of COVID-19 reported in the country. And uh, cumulatively, we've lost 852 healthcare workers since uh, the first case of, of, of death from COVID-19 was reported, which is a, a, a case fatality ratio of 1.53%. Uh, through you, uh, uh, Honorable Chair, I will then move on to the vaccine rollout update. And uh, here, just as a reminder that uh, we do have uh, government structures that are overseeing uh, the, this work. Uh, and at the apex, we've got the Interministerial Committee on Vaccines, uh, which meets every week and is chaired by the Deputy President of the Republic. And the, the function is to give overall political oversight. And then we have our Ministerial Advisory Committee on Vaccines, uh, which is really responsible for giving us scientific guidance to ensure that we apply the best principles of science as we move forward. And then we do have a Ministerial Advisory Committee on Social and Behavior Change reporting to both the Minister of Health and the Minister of Social Development, whose function is mainly to work on social and community mobilization around COVID, around the vaccine, and around all the work that needs to be done with the, the communities. Then we've got the National Vaccine Coordinating Committee, which is uh, responsible for national coordination. We have then recently formed a joint working group uh, with a business, uh, which is really doing day-to-day -day granular planning uh, and ensuring that we are working hand in hand uh, in terms of uh, identifying um, how we should be moving in different areas of uh, the rollout plan. This day-to-day uh, this, uh, uh, -day granular planning committee it has five work streams, uh, both with uh, members from uh, uh, government um, and, and members from uh, business. And then uh, it, it, it meets really every second day but then it reports to the Strategic Oversight Committee, co-chaired by the DG of Health and DG of Treasury, uh, with senior leaders from government um, who, who, who participate and meets Monday and Friday, and mainly just to look uh, at, we've developed a critical path with key milestones that we monitor twice a week to see if we are actually reaching those milestones as we move forward. So just as a reminder again, uh, Honorable Chair, what are the overall aims and objectives and key principles uh, of, um, uh, of uh, the vaccine rollout? Uh, we've got two objectives. We will, firstly, we want to address, <clears throat> excuse me, we want to address mortality 
and mobility. That is, we want to ensure that we deal with those people who are more vulnerable to, uh, uh, to get severe disease and, and die. At the same time, we also have a second objective to get as many people as possible uh, to get vaccinated so that we reach herd immunity. At the end of the day, these coming together were able to ensure that there's community and workplace survival. We prevent lockdowns and other social and economic disruptions. The society, education and economy can open up and resume full capacity. Hence, uh, we're doing then the age-based sequencing to ensure that um, we actually get uh, uh, the, the, the people who are more at risk being addressed first, which we'll go through as we move on. Then the key principles, uh, we need to have a very clear program that does not confuse the people. We need to move with speed because we want to vaccinate as many people as possible. And then it needs to be fair. Uh, we need to ensure that the quality is not compromised and it should be as simple as possible so that when people get in, they should be able to get in and out at the, at the most reasonable time whilst getting quality service that is fair uh, and uh, they understand exactly what is happening. Now, who are we vaccinating? Who goes first and when? How, how much vaccine do we have? Allocation of targets, when will we distribute these vaccines? This has already been covered by the minister. So um, as, as put in here, uh, I'm not going to uh, waste. The minister did uh, this uh, very well. Um, uh, but one issue that we just want to add is that uh, um, because of the difficulty of some of the logistics with the Pfizer vaccine, um, including the cold chain management, the kind of packages that it, it needs, uh, they, uh, it actually forces you uh, uh, once you've taken it out of a particular temperature that you need to use it within a particular time. So we, need, uh, we, we, we really need to uh, ensure that it, it works in the sites that have good capacity and mostly in the metros, in the larger towns. Uh, and then we then use the J&J predominantly uh, in, the, um, uh, in the periphery where uh, you don't have to meet all the onerous requirements uh, that you need to uh, uh, you, you need to meet. Uh, of course, uh, uh, with all that is happening, uh, this is an ongoing discussion as we move forward uh, uh, with what has happened in the last 40, uh, 24 to 48 hours. And then <clears throat> who are we vaccinating? Uh, phase one is for healthcare workers. And uh, um, uh, 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 our initial plan is still, we started on the 17th of February, and it's a three months uh, program that we think it should uh, end by the 17th of May. But now with, um, with the disturbance, uh, we will be watching the situation with the disturbance in the JNJ. We'll be watching the situation and updating the portfolio committee if there needs to be adjustments uh, uh, on, uh, on these dates, uh, if needs be. Um, and then here we're looking at all healthcare workers um, uh, in the public, uh, the private sector, um, uh, and all categories, uh, be it the security, be it the cleaners, be it uh, the ward orderlies, be it the doctors, uh, we're just putting everyone uh, together on this one. We currently have about 800,000 registered on the electronic vaccination uh, data system. And then for phase two, we're really targeting here essential workers, persons in congregate settings, uh, uh, people over 60, and uh, people who are more than 18 but have uh, co-existing mobilities. Uh, and um, uh, with uh, the general population, we will really be targeting uh, for the uh, when we start uh, the over 60, and uh, I will spend a bit of time on this uh, because of their vulnerability. But for uh, all essential workers, our target will be to do 40 years as above as we start, then move down. And 
with this approach, especially with the essential workers, we know that we will also be hitting uh, some of the comorbidities, both diagnosed and undiagnosed, because mostly or most of the comorbidities start at that age and, and, and going up. And then um, with the persons over 60, we mentioned that from May, we start with the over 60, then move to the over 40 and, and down at the age band. It will be a logistical nightmare, but because of the epi data that we have, we're trying to ensure that we carry as many elderly people as possible before the winter season uh, comes in. Uh, and then, of course, then uh, we're targeting up a 16.6 million, and this phase we've given it uh, six months. And then the remaining population, then uh, 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 we're targeting around just about 22 million, and uh, we're giving it uh, three months. Um, and uh, obviously, we hope that uh, whatever happens, uh, there, there is not much disturbance in terms of the timings that we've put in place. <clears throat> Then again, just to touch on in terms of the essential workers, this list is not exhaustive, but this is where we'll be looking at the police, the army, the traffic officers, correctional officers, teachers, early uh, childhood development centers, social workers, municipal workers, community-based workers, home affairs, social officials, faith leaders, traditional leaders, all these people, uh, these are just mainly linked to government, but they, those also in the private sector, uh, 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 we are working closely with NetLEC, and these are the sectors, and they've even given us uh, the numbers. And we are looking at agriculture, be it formal agriculture, be it uh, the agro processing plants, and any uh, chain, value chain that's linked to agriculture, they fall in there. The mining is very clear manufacturing, be it clothing, be it steel, or any related manufacturing sector. Again, at NetLEC, this is well managed through our work stream that's working with them. And then the people in the utilities, that's people working in the water sector gas industry, electricity, and the related industries. The construction industry, then the trade industry, and here that's where we're looking at your retail, wholesale retail, the retail shops, the hotels, the restaurants, the spazas, the shippings, all these people, they fall under uh, this portfolio. Then the transport uh, sector, we're looking at the airlines, the rail, the taxis, the truck, the, the, the truck drivers, the bus drivers, uh, uh, the, the people that work in the taxi ranks, everyone that has got to do with transport falls under this. Then the finance industry, looking at the banks, the insurances, the barrier clubs, the stock fares, community and social services, private households, people working in the private households. Those are all the sectors. And again, this is work that is driven through the work stream that is working uh, with NetLEG to ensure that we are able to reach these people. This is very important as we come to our OHS work stream to see how many of these can be reached through their occupational health services in, in, in vaccination. And then just again, back to the issue of age, this just work that was done uh, by uh, Andrew Bull and the team in the Western Cape, uh, basically why are we uh, prioritizing age? Uh, age is the single most predictor for morbidity and mortality. And when we use what we call the hazard ratio, uh, the age bands above 80, followed by those 70 to 79, and those 60 to 69 are most at risk of getting the more, uh, getting very severe COVID and needing admissions, but also they are the ones most at risk to die from COVID. Uh, they are even more at risk uh, compared to those with uh, comorbid uh, medical conditions like diabetes, uh, hypercholesteremia, hypertension, uh, HIV, and asthma. Hence, the age scientifically uh, makes sense that we need to prioritize those people if we are to have a dent on hospital admissions and also uh, premature mortality. Then this, uh, the steps in the client journey, 
will be using the, ele uh, the electronic uh, uh, vaccination uh, data system <clears throat> where uh, we expect all the South Africans uh, to enroll through this system. There's a lot of work going on um, uh, in terms of this. We hope the system is going to go live this Friday um, uh, and, uh, and uh, there will then be announcements for people to start, start registering. We are aware of the fact that some uh, people, the elderly in the rural areas might have a problem uh, with this. We have uh, had our meeting with the provinces and the provinces will actually be having uh, some campaigns using the computer workers who will go around with the tablets and also with the with some of the donated cell phones that we have to register this, uh, the, the elderly so that they do not suffer. I must also mention that uh, <clears throat> it is not, uh, it should not be a barrier. If someone is not registered and gets to the center, there will be assisted enrollment, there will be computers in each of the sites and people will be registered. It might take a bit longer when they are there, but it will also be difficult. Uh, 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 we want to try and avoid to have as many people because we don't want to clock the sites. But the system can then do the scheduling uh, uh, using an SMS, uh, giving someone a date, a time slot, and it, will, it can also allocate a person. As a person, as Sandy Lebutel is registered and puts his address uh, as, um, at Umlana's Eshowe, it will then allocate him to Eshowe uh, uh, Hospital, uh, but it will be based on proximity, which we'll talk about that. So and then a person has been registered and has been called in, the person will get in, they will have COVID screening, they'll be verified, they get vaccinated, they then get observed for immediate uh, adverse events. And then uh, when they are fine, they then have to uh, uh, go um, and be given a second date uh, if they are a Pfizer. The system will also then give the reminders uh, for the return date uh, for that particular person. When we redistribute the vaccines, um, this, uh, uh, in terms of the two vaccines, as mentioned by the minister, um, we have um, uh, the Pfizer, which will come uh, from uh, abroad, um, and um, it will take about nine days for that vaccine to be in the arm of a person. Um, uh, they st we still need to go through the process of uh, quality control with the National Control Lab uh, in Bloemfontein, uh, uh, whilst the stock is quarantined, and then we do what we call the batch release when we get the results and then we're then able to then get it uh, to the different sites. This is working on the worst case scenario. Uh, um, uh, 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 we are in negotiations with the National Control Lab to see if this can be shortened uh, so that uh, we don't really have a, a long time with the vaccine being here uh, and uh, people not getting vaccinated. Then uh, on the Aspen uh, uh, produced J&J vaccine, um, we've put in, uh, well, the dates we've put in there, there those are just dates, so as to, uh, they are illustrative dates. And we have said that if the vaccine arrives on the 24th, for them, uh, it, it, the time is going to be shorter. Why shorter? It's because the process of quality control by the laboratory has already been done. Actually, the, the samples left last week from Aspen to the National Control Lab, then which gives us a bit of dates, uh, cutting down the waiting period. So it will take about one, two, three, four, five days. Uh, we factored in a holiday on this one. Um, uh, then uh, by the 28th of April, then we should have the first person uh, getting a jab uh, on their deltoid mass. Where will we vaccinate? Who vaccinates which population? Where will we vaccinate the types of sites? How will we manage reinvestment? How will we allocate clients to sites and schedule pay payments? Again, we've got three streams uh, that we'll be working on. We're having the general population um, that will be linked to vaccination sites uh, through the, uh, the scheduling by the 
EVTS system uh, using mainly the, the proximity. Um, and, and, and again, we'll start with uh, again we'll start with those that are we'll start with those that are over 60 years of age, um, and then uh, this, uh, the, uh, then moving down as mentioned. Then the second stream is the industry facilitated um, vaccination sites. That's where we spoke about work that we're doing uh, with the private sector. For example, the mining industry um, uh, will be doing their own vaccination within uh, their hospitals and within their uh, centers. Um, the other industry that just approached us now uh, is the, the road freight industry, where they, uh, they actually want to use their um, uh, uh, truck stop wellness clinics that they have throughout the country uh, uh, to, to vaccinate some of the truckers. So it's, it's all work that uh, we, we welcome uh, when we work on these issues. Um, and, and, and then also including government departments. And most of them have got wellness clinics um, uh, 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 um, uh, in, uh, in the public sector. So uh, again, this uh, will be done there. In the municipalities, uh, again, most uh, municipal clinics, linking the municipal staff to through their wellness centers and their clinics. So these are all in the industry or workplace uh, occupational health services that we will use. And then we have institutions of care. Here, here we're looking at people at congregate settings, mainly uh, the old age homes, uh, the, uh, the uh, correctional centers and the other areas uh, which will be very easy to manage because these are people that are a captive audience to get to and just vaccinate and get done uh, with them but it will also be easier even to register these people on the EVTS because they are again a captive audience then how have we uh, put in uh, the portfolio of sites uh, we've put in the sites at small sites medium and mass vaccination sites and we've put in uh, in terms of the throughput per day, what we mean by small, medium, large, and the mass vaccination sites. And in terms of the capacity that we've put together, we believe that working together with the private sector, we are able with the capacity that is there to do a, a, at least 250,000 to 300,000 vaccinations per day. This is one of the granular works that we are busy with and, uh, and it is very, very doable. And then in terms of the sites, as mentioned by the minister, uh, these are, are the sites, uh, public and private, uh, per province, uh, and uh, the, the current vaccinators that uh, are there. Uh, and then we've also, it's the same slide, but now we've uh, changed it to show small, medium, large, and extra large sites. Uh, it's still work in progress because we're still finalizing our mass vaccination sites. We hope by this Friday in our meeting with business, uh, who will be putting quite some money in setting up uh, these mass vaccination sites, uh, we will be synthesizing uh, our, our mass vaccination sites as we move forward. These sites won't be activated at the same time. Uh, they will be activated in an incremental manner. But as we, are, as we move deeper into uh, phase two, uh, we should be getting as many of them as possible, functional and moving into phase three as well. Then uh, this then is a much more detail where we've shown how many sites, public and private, per each local municipality in the country. I'm not going to go through this. It's a number of slides, but we've gone through each of the local municipalities uh, to show uh, how many sites are there and how many per province. Um, so this, uh, these are the slides that are there. And with uh, your indulgence, Chair, I don't really want to get deep into this. Uh, it's, it's been circulated. And then... Um, yeah, move... Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, Chair. Then, um, <clears throat> and then um, uh, in terms of the different uh, populations, in short and uninsured, 
what is the process. National Treasury has allocated some money uh, uh, for us to be able to, uh, to take care of the uninsured population that is, uh, that is going to, uh, to, uh, to be scheduled to be uh, vaccinated uh, within uh, the, the, the private sites. Uh, they are working on, uh, um, uh, we have our, our, our weekly meetings with them and we're working hard to, uh, to sort out the mechanism they will be um, uh, working on um, uh, gazetting uh, the tariff uh, and the other issues. Uh, so uh, there's a general population uh, and um, uh, the public providers and the private providers will play uh, an important role. Um, uh, uh, our principle here is universal coverage. The vaccine uh, uh, should be free at the point of care. Uh, and for the general public, that's in short, most of them will be uh, uh, um, covered through their medical schemes. That's just uh, between seven and eight million uh, people. And uh, they, they, they'll mostly use uh, the private providers. And then we uh, also have the uninsured workers in industries uh, who will be taken care of by their particular industries. For example, the mining sector uh, will be, um, the mining sector will be, um, they've advised us that they've even uh, put up a particular insurance just to take care of those miners uh, that are not insured, that, uh, that means they don't have uh, medical schemes. Uh, and then as mentioned, it's uh, uh, universal coverage. Uh, the access will be based on proximity, closest to the service point, be it public or private. The, um, and, and the EVDS has got a functionality as mentioned to actually allocate uh, uh, people to the sites as they register. So it's very important that when someone registers, they actually put their, uh, their correct address uh, where they are so that the system will be able to allocate them to the site. Again, uh, our hospitals, uh, our mainly district hospitals, will remain the main hubs uh, uh, of, uh, of the vaccination. Of course, uh, uh, again, we will be doing the phase B, 1B, where we'll vaccinate the remaining uh, healthcare workers. Uh, they'll be uh, focusing on that, but also there will be the hubs uh, in terms of the hub and spoke outreach where they'll be able to reach out uh, to, uh, to the smaller sites uh, with the mobile vehicles to vaccinate uh, in those areas that are out, uh, outside of that, uh, of that. So we want to ensure that uh, each district hospitals are covering at least one sub-district so that we have a very fair and equitable geographical spread, uh, spread and then we'll then gradually expand the number of sites in an incremental manner as mentioned earlier on. Then uh, these are the vaccinations as at yesterday at 18.30, we're done 291,244 um, uh, vaccinations as at half past six uh, uh, yesterday evening. Of course, with the three, uh, four provinces uh, vaccinating more, uh, which in a way is in keeping with the distribution of healthcare workers uh, in the country. And then uh, the minister has spoken about uh, the uh, difficult clauses. Um, uh, the three agreements that we've had to get into was with uh, Johnson & Johnson, the Pfizer, and the Serum Institute. And then uh, the, 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 the agreements, uh, as Minister has mentioned, they contain broad and far-reaching clauses, which require the uh, government and department to do a number of issues. One is the indemnification of the manufacturers against any claims, um, uh, the establishment of a no-fault compensation scheme, and then they've put in a very onerous confidentiality obligations, as mentioned by the minister, um, and also um, a provisions that indicate that uh, there is no refund, and the minister has spoken to this. But the agreements also protect the manufacturers for any delay in delivery, such as there is no penalty 
or consequence for any delays in the delivering of vaccines. Uh, and there's also no liability for any failure to deliver doses, even where such delay or failure is due to gross negligence or willful misconduct on their part. Uh, the minister has covered this very well. Then, obviously, as mentioned, uh, with our legal team, uh, the, uh, we had quite very extensive negotiations uh, where the minister himself was sometimes involved. We've had meetings up to midnight with some of these manufacturers. Uh, uh, then some of the clauses that were difficult, for example, they finally managed to remove them in the agreements. For example, there was one uh, that, that wanted the requirement that one of the purchaser to provide guarantees, obligations and protections and indemnities as determined at the sole discretion of the manufacturer and the sufficiency of such statutory or regulatory requirements of funding appropriation shall be in the manufacturer's sole discretion. I mean, this really uh, borders on, uh, on really uh, uh, undermining the fiscal sovereignty of the country as mentioned by the minister. But uh, uh, our team, legal team, were, were able to, to get this out of the contracts and we moved forward with them. Then lastly, on the, uh, on the Northport compensation, the minister has covered this very well. And uh, basically, we'll just have one or two slides to say, um, uh, um, uh, whilst uh, 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 this was a, as a, as a, as is a, a, pre uh, a condition precedent that has been set by the vaccine manufacturers, but we see it as a country that it might be a good thing in future as we move forward to consider on how we manage our, uh, our, our medical negligence claims. Uh, as, uh, uh, in terms of compensation uh, as one of the big problems that we have. Then the elements of the scheme is, is eligibility, the process and decision-making, the standard of proof, elements of compensation, the litigation rights, administration, and the funding. And uh, the, the key committees uh, that uh, will be there, um, one is what we call uh, uh, the NISA committee, uh, whose main responsibility will be to establish uh, the causal link between the vaccine and the injury. So there's, there's, there's an injury, the duty of this committee, it is, by the way, an existing committee already in the department. Uh, uh, the, it will then prove that the injury or the adverse event is indeed due to the vaccine. That's a causal link. And once they've done that, they've done their work, and then it should then go to the adjudication panel, which will really be responsible for defining the injury and determining the compensation, uh, that's a quantum of the compensation, which of course, when we develop the directions, uh, we, we, we will be working on some quantums uh, using some best practices, of course, um, with some uh, inputs uh, for, uh, from um, uh, uh, the actuaries. Uh, uh, and then um, once that committee has decided that Sandile lost hearing, and yes, it was due to the vaccine, then the, uh, and, and they say he must be paid 5,000 rand, then uh, there's adjudication panel work. And Sandile, if he's happy with that 5,000 rand, it goes straight to compensation, uh, which should then be paid through the, uh, uh, the, the, the administration part uh, of, uh, 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 of the scheme. And then if Sandile is unhappy uh, with the 5,000, he wants 1 million, it then, he then has a right to appeal. Then it then goes to an independent appeals panel which is really responsible for reviewing the decision of the adjudication panel. Uh, and if Sandile is still unhappy with this, it is at that time then he can then consider going through the civil litigation route. Uh, but of course, it's important that uh, this, uh, uh, the people must exhaust all the systems within uh, the scheme before they can 
uh, go out into, <coughs> excuse me, into the civil courts. And then, of course, we'll have then the overarching governance committee, which will be overseeing the functioning of the scheme and providing advice to the minister. And this committee is, will be chaired by a retired judge, and the minister has uh, briefed the committee on, on this area. So the current status, as mentioned, um, the amend, uh, amended, uh, amendments to the disaster management regulations that have been drafted, and they will be uh, published for public comment uh, for five days. And then, uh, as the minister mentioned, the process of appointing a judge is really at a very advanced stage. Uh, thank you very much, Chair, Honorable Members, Minister, Deputy Minister, and colleagues. Uh, we submit as a department. Yes. Uh, Honorable Minister, I think you may come to the end now. I'd like to take um, the members' questions. Thank you very much. Uh, this process, one may think, is a simple process. It's now needing lawyers, it needs judges, it needs uh, uh, all sorts of expertise and uh, but uh, we are glad that we are on the on top of it. Honorable members, I forwarded you a list uh, where I'm requesting that you you actually uh, put your video if you can while you are asking question. May I, through your permission, honorable members, which I know you will grant me, uh, allow me to read the questions of Mama Shengwa, who is struggling wherever she is. Then uh, after that, it will be uh, honorable Imam Sheikh followed by Honorable Ismail, uh, third one, Honorable Kwahube, fourth, Honorable Dr. Jacobs, number five, Honorable Kela, number six, Honorable Sukers, number seven, Honorable Dr. Tembegwa, and number eight, Honorable uh, Ms. Chirwa. Uh, with your permission, Honorable, let me start by reading the question of Mama Shemba. Uh, this is what she's saying to you, Minister. Regarding the decision to suspend the vaccination rollout, when did the minister become aware of this possible risk associated with the J&J vaccine? Number two, why was there so little vaccination over the past weekend? Was this linked maybe to this announcement? And what measures will the government take to ensure that those healthcare workers who have, had, who have had the vaccine are monitored closely and given priority of treatment. The last one is, uh, what is the government's plan to ensure that the safety of healthcare workers going forth in terms of being vaccinated? Those were questions from Mama Shengwa. Then I will then allow Imam Sheikh to start and all other members who have got their numbers now will follow suit until the last honorable uh, Ms. Chirwa. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Chairperson, I think Honorable Van Staden also sent you a question. I read the questions of Honorable Van Staden as part of my, um, uh, I don't okay. know, maybe you, you missed that. I, uh, uh, he was actually asking about due to the temporary suspension uh, of the JNJ by FDA and the announcement made by the minister last night, will this have an impact on the vaccine rollout? Uh, the time that the minister is going to, how long will the minister wait uh, for the scientists to come back to him? Uh, that one, those ones are incorporated in, in my mind. Thank you, thank you for disturbing me because now you are giving me a chance to read uh, 
another member who's struggling, Honorable Munyai, Honorable Munyai struggling where he is. He has sent me a question. I have one question. My question is how much is allocated by National Treasury for vaccine administration? So he, is, he wants us to, he wants the minister to go and check on the uh, budget speech of the minister and come again and indicate. But this is a question from Honorable Munyai. How much is allocated by National Treasury for vaccine administration? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chair, and thank you for that clarity. Yeah, let me just start off on the issue of the Johnson & Johnson. I think my colleagues have to some extent covered the impact that we are concerned about. What are the financial implications on the suspension of Johnson & Johnson? And if we are, for any reason, not going to use it in the, in the future? over and above the large quantities of vaccines that have been ordered from them. Clearly, that will have an impact if we're not going to proceed with that. But I'm concerned about the fact that it would appear that these pharmaceutical companies are laughing all the way to the bank because they put us in a very difficult situation, particularly when on the issue of no-fault compensation, over and above the fact that they are saying no refunds and things, so if you cancel. So what is going to happen here if we had to cancel Johnson & Johnson based on the, on, on the challenges we're facing or the risks attached to that. Now, the other thing is, this, uh, and through you, Chairperson, to the Minister, why is it we don't act timelessly when we establish worldwide that there are problems? Why do we wait till the 11th hour before we take action, like in this case of Johnson & Johnson, and continued rolling it out and putting our healthcare workers at great risk? And remember, our healthcare workers were given very little or no options. You take it. If you don't want to take it, you're not forced to take it, but you will not be protected as the healthcare workers if you get the virus. So it was actually a no-win situation. Now, now I'm very concerned about Johnson & Johnson, particularly uh, through you, Chairperson Minister, based on the fact that they have been found wanting in terms of these, uh, 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 together with Aspen Pharmaceutical, and these McKenzie's, there's hundreds of millions of dollars that had to be paid. And, and I'm, I'm very worried about this particular insti- uh, institution and what impact it is having. How are they controlling the prices when it comes to this kind of thing? And remember that they were manufacturing drugs that put hundreds of thousands of people at risk worldwide, which is what they were found uh, guilty of in any case. Now, the other thing is, is that the Pfizer. Vaccines also appears to have some challenges in some countries, like the Johnson and Johnson, and we are relying particularly on these two institutions. And I'm concerned about what is going to happen going forward. Should we establish that even there we have a group? Then the other thing is this uh, that uh, uh, that I want to touch on is the issue of the ivermectin. Now, Minister. It's shocking, but a disgrace that SEPRA has now allowed it with no further evidence after hundreds of people may have died and been infected in South Africa, if not thousands. Now, who is going to be liable, Minister? I know your chief of staff arrogantly wrote to me and said he'll hold me with punitive costs for wanting to pursue this matter. Who is going to pay these millions of rands in costs? Should it not be the CEO herself? should be paying this cost in, as punitive cost for having uh, taken the decision that she take 
single-handedly without intervention from the people. And it might have cost a lot of lives in South Africa. Now, my question is, where does SEPRA put in all this, Minister? Because you've continued, you procured it, and rightfully so, because you were in a hurry to want to get these vaccines. And we can't blame you and the department if something goes wrong with the vaccine, because we all needed to be in line to achieve and get these vaccines. However, SEPRA allowed you to procure these things without any approval. But when it came to the issue of ivermectin, no, there's not enough evidence. There was not enough evidence. And there's evidence right now, even in the Johnson & Johnson minister, that there are challenges we're experiencing there. So is it a toothless body? Should we shut it down? Or should we call for them all to resign, particularly the CEO who is conflicted with Mackenzie Johnson & Johnson, all these people? So that is my other issue in terms of that and who is going to be paying and what are you as the department going to do as a result of their conduct, which is now costing millions of taxpayers money. Can you also tell me what is the latest in terms of the SIU investigation into that activities at SEPRA with the corruption and the maladmission? Is there anything latest in terms of that? And I know I asked the last time about the issue of McKenzie, whether they paid their fine. You can see they all over ESCOM, corruption, it's on the commission, and they link. Is there, Minister, any link with what you've procured through Aspen and Johnson & Johnson with any link with McKenzie at all? I'd like to know, because they appear to be in the forefront when it comes to these things. I think for now, I will stop the chair and come back if necessary later. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, and thank you to the minister and his team. Um, I I have just four questions um, uh, to, to the minister and, and, and the team. Minister, I think there's been, you know, the, I, I know certainly if on my side, there, there's been many confusion. There's, there's been plenty of confusion around terms like, you know, we've procured um, doses of the vaccine or we've secured doses here with, with this manufacturer. We've reached now an agreement with this manufacturer. And, you know, these have often been made to be milestones worth celebrating. Now, just for the clarity for us and obviously the people at home, what is the difference between these two? Because ultimately, as we stand now, there's been less than 300,000 healthcare workers who have been vaccinated. And yet there are millions, you know, you talk about over 40 million people can be vaccinated due to what has been secured. So what is actually the difference between when you secure something and then now when you are in a position to be able to receive the vaccine and roll it out? And it's linking this to my second question. So it's more about clarity, Minister, that, you know, once an agreement has been signed, is then the next step simply delivery? And if the next step is delivery, is then the next step roll out? And ultimately also what I would like to understand is I see there's a truncated delivery um, with Pfizer in particular because you talk about how in May there'll be different tranches of the vaccine rollout from 300K, you know. Again, I just would like to understand, is it because of our own storage capacity that we're only getting um, various sort of uh, um, uh, doses that are limited? Then this is linked to, 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 to the clarity around that I'm seeking about um, vaccine rollout to our healthcare workers. 
we always understood, Minister, that this was going to be, I mean, we didn't always understand, but we are now on the same page that the Sisonke trial is a, is, is a trial phase. Um, but it was always meant to at least target about 500. First, the, the initial target was 1.2 million healthcare workers. And then that was readjusted to about half a million healthcare workers. As things stand, we are sitting at less than 300,000 healthcare workers who have been vaccinated. Why is this being so criminally slow? It, it makes no sense because ultimately, what I cannot understand is that why days go by where no healthcare worker is being vaccinated. Over Easter weekend, not a single South African was was um, was vaccinated. The past couple of days, these are marginal numbers. Why is this happening? Then my last question is relate. My second last question is relating to the announcement that you made yesterday around the FDA decision to halt the J and J rollout. And of course, you, you know, the United States is in a very different position than we are because they have various um, uh, uh, vaccines in, in circulation, whereas we don't. So when we halt the J&J rollout, we are effectively, we don't have anything else until Pfizer arrives. So what I want to understand, and, and again, I'm, I'm happy to be guided here, is that, I mean, statistical um, significance is a thing. And so was the decision made entirely on the basis that six people out of six million jabs had adverse effects? I mean, is that a significant enough number for us to, to halt um, the uh, rollout of the vaccine? And so that's what I would like to understand, because it seems to me that the six out of six million is a very marginal figure. And so on what basis was this decision then made? And then lastly, um, you've said that J&J is requiring a letter from DTI, a letter of support. This, this is, I'm not understanding what, what the purpose of this DTI letter of support is. When will DTI be able to sign this? Because of course we can't have any further delays. And what must this letter particularly say that, it, that needs to come from DTI? Thank you so much. Um, good morning, Chair, and good morning, everyone. And once again, thank you for the presentation. I just have a few questions. I'm sorry, I can't put on my video. I've got a very bad network connection on the site. It's Honorable Hasina Ismail. My first question, has there been any vaccine trials for the Pfizer vaccines? If there were, when can we expect trial results on Pfizer in the South African case? What were the results for the South African variant with regard to Pfizer? Was this trial conducted in South Africa? And what adverse side effects have been identified thus far in the South African context? We're expecting Pfizer, but there's been no talk on, on its trials, uh, Minister, and this is a bit worrisome. Therefore, I'm asking a question. My second question is based on the J&J &J vaccine, you know, and with regard to the social media reports on blood clotting, etc. Now, when did government first know about the blood clots? I mean, when the government first really realized that, you know what, this is what's going on. And uh, I just also want to clarify the question, is this why, you know, uh, vaccinations had slowed down in South Africa? What adverse effects have been identified thus far in the South African context when it comes to the J&J vaccine or trials? My third question with regard to the no-fault compensation fund. 
You know, I've asked questions at the previous uh, meeting and I didn't receive all my responses. So I'm actually very happy that the chairperson wrote that letter to, to you, Minister. But I have further up questions to say is that what measures will be put in place now to ensure that the management of this fund is actually transparent? Um, and what measures will be put in place to prevent uh, the fund from theft, fraud and corruption going forward? My fourth question, Minister, Minister is that I'm just uh, actually very concerned with the recent reports of blood clotting, etc. We have paid for these vaccines already, and you've explained that there's a, no, a close day of no refunds. Since we don't know of Pfizer trials and, you know, with the South African variant, are we sure that we're actually doing the right thing of paying for vaccines that trials were not done in South Africa? Um, as stated in my first, question, my first question, unless there were trials of Pfizer being done in South Africa that we don't know about, please clarify for us. My first question, please provide a detailed distribution plan on how and which vaccines will be distributed to the various provinces and what factors will actually will influence these decisions. Uh, I know the DG and the minister explained that you're waiting for the provinces to give you, you know, to send you the the needs, but I'm saying, what are you? How are you going to decide whether the J and J vaccine is going to go to Gauteng Province or the Pfizer vaccine is going to go to Western Cape? I just want to know how. You, what is the deciding factors on that? And my last question, Minister, you have specified that we are receiving vaccines every week. So since the Pfizer vaccines need special requirements for storage, how is the department going to ensure that the necessary um, necessary amount of vaccinations will actually be taking place? We already know, as uh, uh, you know, my honourable colleague had just specified, vaccinations in this country is going very slow. So now we've already procured, we've already paid, and we've, you know, you've specified the DJ specified the delivery and so forth. I'm just worried that on the ground, you know, will vaccinations be done on time? Thank you. Thank you, Minister and the DG, for the presentations. Now we note that. Uh, Everything is very fluid and dynamic, and there are many changes on a daily basis. I think we must also express an appreciation for the fact that you're able to change on a daily basis and, and, and improve uh, things and the terms and the negotiations um, as, as these are changed uh, for the betterment of the people of South Africa. So I want to just put our appreciation for the capacity of the department to adapt to the changing circumstances. But also in terms of the intensity and the difficulties of the negotiations, we've heard from you that there are great challenges and it's very intense and that you've been able to bridge a number of those negotiations in terms of uh, finding suitable terms and suitable agreements with the manufacturers. So we understand that these terms and, uh, are put there by the manufacturers and uh, it's, it's your job to make certain that all South Africans get the best deal out of this. So we also appreciate that from yourselves. But we also note the non-refundable clauses in the, in the uh, agreements. And we've also heard from Honorable Sheikh Imam having a, a problem with that and also Honorable Ismail in the sense that uh, questions are, of course, raised as to what happens to money that has, which have been paid. Uh, and should the vaccine uh, create challenges, for example, the one on J&J &J now with the blood clots, what happens to the money actually that has been spent? And also, if maybe the minister can give us more indications uh, and more understanding of these um, non-refundable clauses within the agreements. And then also, uh, 
you know, the challenges, uh, just to mention again, must not be underestimated, uh, that these must be youth challenges, uh, and we must uh, express that uh, to ourselves and to the public that, yes, I guess it's, it, it's, it must be very difficult challenges. We're also happy to receive indications of the procurement agreements of larger amounts of the vaccine in the second, third, and fourth quarters, uh, and also the time frame of receipt of the vaccines. We are also have uh, taken note of the disclosure of the cost of the vaccines per dose, as has as been put uh, by the minister earlier. Um, and uh, also on the no-fault compensation fund, and, and you can see what I am doing is I'm saying a lot of work, good work has been done and that we should really not negate that by, by not uh, giving, uh, you know, honor where it, is, where it should be given uh, and given, giving recognition where it should be given for the work that has gone into this. So one of those is the No Fault Compensation Fund. We are pleased to see a plan uh, which will be implementable and, uh, and that... Uh, there's also some expediency appropriated to this plan, and we appreciate that. And also the appointment of Judge uh, Sandy Lengobo as the chairperson of the governance committee, as one of the committees of the No Fault Compensation Fund. And we look forward to the publishing of the regulations, Minister, uh, for establishment of the fund, which uh, you said would be done in the next five days. Can you also give us an indication then? Uh, of the funding of this fund, uh, where would the funds come from for this fund to be established? And uh, at some stage, if not today, give us an indication as to the the monetary monitoring, the monitoring of the money of the fund once it is established. <laughs> and then, lastly, on the confusion created by various groups. Uh, including the Western Cape government on the procurement of vaccines, acquisition and procurement. There just seems to be an ongoing discussion. But maybe you can just come in here, uh, just, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and just maybe reaffirm the position on the acquisition and procurement of the vaccines at the national government level. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, let me also welcome the report from the minister and also the presentation from the head of the department. Um, we really appreciate uh, the good work that we are doing and also coming to us as a portfolio committee and brief us uh, about everything that is happening regarding the vaccine uh, rollout in our country. And so far, we know that uh, uh, about more than 250 care workers have been vaccinated. And we are looking forward to make sure that at least by mid-May, uh, uh, we meet the target of vaccinating all the health workers and also uh, starting the new second uh, phase of rollout. And we do have a confidence, uh, Minister, that is going to happen despite uh, the challenges that are coming uh, forth, but I know that uh, they will be resolved. Uh, coming to the issues that I want to raise, uh, Minister, in terms of the presentations and also your input, 
the vaccine rollout plan being clear in terms of a vaccine procurement uh, agreement in place with manufacturers, uh, distribution of vaccine per province, a guideline for provinces, vaccination sites identified, which we are very happy as a portfolio so far. And really, I must say uh, as a witness that uh, on Thursday, uh, I saw that uh, you were around Gauteng checking uh, the readiness and also the vaccination site in Gauteng, which is a good sign. And also we really appreciate the good work that we are doing uh, throughout uh, the country of checking the readiness and also making sure that all our sites are ready for implementation of the uh, vaccine. Uh, coming to the issue that I want to raise, uh, num- uh, the first question that I want to raise, uh, who is responsible for preparation of the vaccine sites? Uh, how will control over, for example, the integrity of vaccines being insured? Those are the questions that I want to ask uh, from the presentation that was presented to us. But also other questions are being covered by uh, Dr. Kenny, and we really appreciate the good work that the department is doing and also the minister being at the forefront at all the time. Thank you very much. Honorable Sukars. Thank you, Chairperson. I want to thank the department for, um, and the minister for the presentation. I am certain for all our colleagues, things are becoming much more clearer. Um, I have a few questions and um, I will stick to the questions for my own sake here, because I think a lot of us here um, are in dismay um, with the terms that are being um, being demanded. And it seems, and it is, I think it proves the point that uh, politicians and business, um, it is a difficult combination. Um, Minister, I want to ask the, the, the following questions. In reviewing the plan, um, I see little provision for contingencies. Um, just yesterday, the FDA and CDC halted the use of the J&J vaccine. And a small study from Israel suggests that Pfizer is not as effective against B1351. Further disruptions are very likely. And when I look at the slide on the Joint Strategic Oversight Committee, I see a very small team working on supply. Yet strategic sourcing and procurement has been the area in which we have failed. Thus my comment um, in the beginning here. How will the minister work to strengthen the strategic sourcing capacity? And how can he be assisted to do this? Um, And I think it it comes back to the questions that was asked previously by my colleagues. And I think we need to, uh, the minister and the department needs to really now make use of the collective um, parliament that is here um, to say, how do we assist government um, to 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 um, increase capacity, because I do think that that is one of the key failures. That um, is the fragmented approach, the the failure for us to communicate 
um, or for the department to um, effectively communicate with parliament and put all cards on deck in order for us to really unify around solutions. Um, secondly, section 32 of the Bill of Rights states that everyone has the right of access to any information held by the state. As members of parliament, we are the representatives of the people. It is completely unacceptable that we do not receive the information that we need to conduct oversight and to hold the executive accountable. We cannot run away from our constitution by simply saying strict non-disclosure agreements. This is contacting out, uh, contracting out of our constitution, which is completely unacceptable. It is not enough to say that big business is dictating the terms to others. What steps is the minister taking to ensure that our people's constitutional rights are protected? And I do note, Minister, that you have mentioned um, the protection of the rights of South Africans in your um, um, opening. Number three, vaccine refusal and hesitancy is increasing because of incorrect information from the AIDS conspiracy theories consultation being limited to groups the government is comfortable with and lack of education. We cannot think that we can order our people around and tell them what they must think and what is good for them. We need to engage all our people as key stakeholders, not just those that are in the structures government normally engages with. For example, government has failed to engage with religious leaders from the newer Pentecostal and charismatic churches. How are you going to ensure wide involvement, not just with this group, but with all groups that are not within existing structures? Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, my questions are as follows. The first one, uh, how many Chinese or Russian uh, vaccine companies to date have you engaged on possible supply of vaccines? Question two, the rollout phases as it has been presented to us today vessels the available vaccines and uh, specifically with regard to J&J Holt at the same time uh, anticipating the possible adverse reactions that might be experienced by the healthcare workers in South Africa. What is your contingency plan should that happen? How do you ensure that the healthcare providers community is aware of the potential for those adverse events? And how do you plan for proper recognition and management due to the unique treatment required with this type of um, um, blood clot. Uh, in Houding recently, there has been a warning of rising COVID-19 infections in specifically uh, Sidibeng, Johannesburg, Tswane, and Ekurileni. How do you uh, approach this type of, of occurrence to prevent the further spread thereof. Minister, the South African-born uh, bioscientist who is behind the development of a new game-changer pill to prevent COVID-19. The vaccine which is being tested in the form of that pill is according to the BioVex CEO Morena Makwasana 
will not have to be stored at the low temperatures like the injectable vaccines. Have you considered having negotiations with this company? And if not, why? And if you are considering to do that, how speedily can you be able to accommodate uh, this company? Mention was made that uh, the provinces, you are expecting revised uh, schedules from provinces. But this is confusing because this province schedule of vaccination depends entirely on the schedule and availability of vaccines from the department itself. So how are you going to make sure that there's less confusion and uncertainty regarding this aspect? Um, when the DDG was presenting, he said the treasury has provided them with some money. My question is, we don't talk of some money. We want to know what is the amount of money that has been provided by the treasury and who controls the usage and how is it going to be used? And as usual, I would like to make use of this opportunity just to, to, to ask for feedback or, or any other information because I usually don't get direct feedback from uh, um, the people from the, the department about the questions that are usually posed outside the COVID-19. And the first one is about the Eastern Cape Healthcare Workers whose contract were supposed to end on the 31st of March. And even though they said um, it's going to be extended, but I had the report that it's only extended for three months. Why can't they do the same with KZN and extend the contract to 12 months? The last one is the feedback on the internship who are not receiving any stipend in Houghton Province hospitals while the others are receiving stipends in all other provinces. So it's only Houghton Province. So can, can I be given feedback on this to say they will get stipend that will be backdated from January 2021? Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you, Minister, for your presentation to you and your team. Um, I just have a few questions as well. I want to know what the reason is behind deciding to uh, centralize J&J vaccines in rural areas and, and Pfizer in the metros. It's not quite clear in the presentation what informs the decision to do that. And secondly, uh, and I mean, my colleagues have raised this concern. Um, based on technicality and uh, our history in relation to reaching targets. Um, so everything on paper may look quite convincing in the time being, I mean, despite the fact that our aspirations should be much higher. Um, but the concern is how then do you plan on reaching capacity to process uh, 250,000 vaccines per day um, when you have failed? with vaccinating 1.5 million healthcare workers uh, with the initial target of the end of April. Um, you've extended it and even reduced the plan uh, for healthcare workers. It went to 600,000, now it's 1.2 million, as I see in the, in, the, in the presentation that you gave us today. 
Uh, so there keeps being changes, but none of them lead us towards believing that capacity is being increased or that you're going to be able to get to a point where you're able to vaccinate 250,000 people uh, per day, especially noting that uh, if we were to break it down from May to October, mid-May to October, you would have to vaccinate, I mean, to reach the target that you have set, you would have to vaccinate 700,000 people per week. Um, and I understand that this will increase, obviously, with the, with the securing of more vaccines and them arriving, even though there's questions about the issue of securing and availability and all those things. But you are giving us uh, numbers to say 600,000 per week from May. Uh, how then do we then litigate the issue of the fact that to reach the target, it would have to be 700,000 plus people, 700,000 people per week. Uh, especially noting the issue of capacity. You are telling us about vaccination sites and vaccinators, uh, which, are, which are being said to be already available and already on site. You are, you are being told about you doing oversight visits to these uh, vaccination sites, but they don't result in, an, in, an, in a tangible increase that leads us towards believing or at least uh, seeing tangible evidence that 250,000 vaccinations will be able to be possible um, per day on phase two in particular. So there is a concern about that because it, it seems uh, that we are just gearing for another failure as we have been over the past few months and weeks uh, of targets being changed because capacity is proving to be a problem, uh, technical issues, uh, vaccinations arriving, not arriving, all those things. And they may seem like small gaps in the presentations and how you guys present, present this information to us. But as a portfolio committee, I think we know much more better uh, to just take your word for it because history tells us otherwise. That even if you may bring a plan and tell us we'll vaccinate 1.5 million healthcare workers by the end of April, reality is that you're still on 250,000 uh, and we are in mid-April. Uh, and, and, and that is very disappointing, to say the least. And it's very concerning because then it means you won't reach the targets that you have set for the second phase of 22 million people by mid-October, just based on the evidence of the work that has been done so far and the targets and all of the failures uh, uh, in, in the collective. And also, I want to know what the update is on, on other vaccine manufacturers because it seems there's a decision that's been made already and that we must just reach our own conclusions that you've, or as an establishment, as, as the administration, as the executives, you just decided on Pfizer and Johnson & Johnson, um, despite the fact that you've been coming in and out of the portfolio committee telling us about the other ones and Sputnik and all those things that were in talks with the other manufacturers. Can we just have an update on what these talks have led to so far? Because we, we currently don't have that. Uh, and... Yeah, especially in particular in regards to vaccines from China and Russia. Um, and another issue, it's very good that we've decided to halt the JNJ uh, vaccination program pending the, the outcome. Uh, but what I want to ask is that what then is being done domestically to involve ourselves in the investigation process? Are we having our own? Are we just waiting for the FDA and the CDC to come up and tell us the results of it? Um, don't we have our own capacity as a country um, to either be involved on that level um, or to have our own investigation beyond just monitoring, um, but to deeply 
uh, you know, be involved because part of the part of the conditions or rather the the the, the the triggers that have been noted by the FDA is the issue of the fact that we have to monitor even the very minor symptoms after vaccination, which the Sonke trial has said over and over again that the only symptoms they've had is nausea um, and muscle pain. But those are also primary symptoms that could lead to blood clots. Um, I want to know if investigations on that level have happened or you're waiting for people to come and respond and tell you that they've had this particular situation and so on and so forth, in particular to healthcare workers. So I just want to know how intricate and how deeply involved is our monitoring system in relation to the investigation, because I know it will last a few days uh, and then it may need that the vaccination program can continue or be halted altogether. Um, and that's what is then the uh, return strategy for both instances of of, 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 of government and another issue, what then becomes the replacement in the interim and if the results prove that Johnson & Johnson should be halted uh, indefinitely, what then is the strategy? Uh, and also when we speak about alternatives uh, of other vaccinations, it's because uh, part and parcel of that is that the gift of that decision is that even in situations where we are, we are found where the primary vaccines that we have chosen, Pfizer to not be as efficient, to not have such a high efficacy against the variant first found in South Africa, Johnson and Johnson being investigated, we are our hands become tied. If there isn't a a large base, a, or rather a much more alternatives which could be made available, that's why I'm asking for an update because I want to know what then is the reason why there is no securance or they are not securing other vaccines like Osputnik and so on and so forth. Um, and maybe the minister could take us into confidence. And uh, the other issue I had raised the last time with the DG, the issue of Mposileka from the, the medical, the senior medical uh, scientist from NICD who raised issues of racism at the NICD, which also resulted in her being uh, dismissed unfairly. Can I just have an update? Because it's been over two weeks and I haven't had an update from the DG in relation to this particular issue. Um, and yeah, that is it for me. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Yeah, no, thank you very much, honorable members. Uh, from my side, it's just to uh, minister and the DG to enhance some of the issues that are coming in. C can we agree that um, in the previous presentation, you did highlight uh, where you are so that uh, with the Sputnik, Sinopharm and the Chinese um, uh, vaccine. Can we have that slide remaining right through in your future presentations until you have made a decision whether Sapra has given you a green light to continue or not continue? It was there. Today it was missing in the previous presentations that was there indicating that there are discussions with yourself and Sapra about that so that we could always have that slide and you finalize that decision. That was uh, it by Oh, Dr. Tembewa, I will appreciate if that slide remains like that, right through in your future presentations. Uh, especially in the light of uh, not sure whether we are permanently with the two or we need to know the progress. Honorable Kela uh, uh, raised the issue of vaccination sites. I must indicate two days ago, I was phoned by a, a journalist who was saying, uh, do you know about vaccination sites? I said, yes, we do. Because in the previous presentations, you made that presentation again about vaccination sites. But it does appear that this has not been well communicated uh, 
out there, maybe we have not started, please indicate. I mean, for instance, if I live next to Tulamahashi Clinic, is that site going to be available? When do I come to know uh, as to that site will then be robust? Right now, as we are almost supposed to be rounding up, uh, giving vaccines to our healthcare workers, we need to be having a massive planning, all, the, all that for the rollout of the country. Related to that, one noted there were some glitches with regards to a particular healthcare worker here and there able to register uh, uh, so that he or she is part of this program. Now, do you expect the same for our all 60-year-old and above, whether they are in the countryside, rural areas and all that, to register into the system so that you know that next to Mankweng, there are so many of those who need to be vaccinated and down there, how do you see this process going forward? <laughs> uh, we need that information because these 60 year olds are all over around us, and I need to be very clear when I press, provide an answer to them what would be expected of them prior to being vaccinated. Maybe you can then take us through all these uh, questions, uh, Honorable uh, Minister, and your team. Thanks. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. I'm going to request that the members of the team uh, could start. Uh, we could ask the DG and maybe uh, Dr. Pillay uh, to come in. And then uh, uh, we've actually got a few, <clears throat> Dr. Tulare, and then uh, the Deputy Minister and myself will come at the end. Maybe if we ask the members to tighten some of the questions. Uh, Dr. Uh, Anban Pillay, Dr. Tulare, and uh, DG. Then I will come back uh, to deal with the last questions myself and Deputy Minister. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> thank you. Uh, thank you, Minister. I'll request Dr. Anban Pillay and Dr. Tulare to start. Uh, thank you, DG. Uh, um, good morning, honourable members. Um, um, I'll, I'll try and address some of the questions that were that were that were raised. Um, I think uh, the first question around the um, adverse events uh, relating to the J and J vaccine, we had not uh, uh, experienced, as I uh, uh, the minister had indicated, any of these uh, adverse events that have been reported in the US. Um, but uh, they have certainly been experienced in, in, in other countries. Um, bearing in mind as well that uh, our rollout is close to about 300,000 doses. And in, in the uh, US, for example, the uh, uh, over 6 million doses have been already uh, uh, administered. And they've had six cases. I think it's important to say that there hasn't been a causal link as yet between the vaccine and the adverse events. Uh, there may well be other factors that have affected that. That's the data that I think the, the FDA will, will have a look at and, and evaluate. Uh, I do know that SAPRA is also looking at the matter. Uh, at the same time, a number of the ethics committees locally have uh, have raised whether the, 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 the study should uh, 
should proceed in the context of of uh, of these signals, what we call them uh, uh, adverse event signals that are coming out of other countries, because uh, that does uh, uh, um, uh, raise for us the the uh, concern that these adverse events may may occur in South Africa, and so we may need to take measures around that. So I think pausing the the study is an opportunity for us to to look at the the uh, the. Uh, um, whether these adverse events are, are linked to the vaccine firstly, and if they are, which particular groups are, uh, are affected? What is the uh, causal relationship? Is it a particular type of uh, uh, age group or other factors that the individual has that predisposes them to these types of clots? I think those answers the, the uh, colleagues in uh, uh, SAPRA as well as the Ministerial Advisory Committee that will be looking at that and uh, will we'll potentially have some, some answers or approaches about how we would be able to, to uh, deal with that. As part of the the uh, the process of of uh, uh, managing safety of of vaccines, we have uh, um, the EVDS system, which uh, requires that all adverse events are recorded on the system. So after registration, after vaccination, there is then a process of of monitoring those adverse events as they occur. And uh, the reason that uh, uh, government is managing uh, the, the rollout and using a single system, which is the EVDS, is so that uh, precisely we can get the signals of adverse events early. Because if you have one single system and you notice a particular adverse event popping up all over, that's usually the first signal that there is something that you need to investigate here and try and understand. So I think our EVDS would, would certainly be able to pick these up um, if, if they occur. Um, uh, I mean, the, the other adverse events that may arise that we're not aware of currently. Um, I think the, uh, the the temporary suspension would hopefully only be a very short time because uh, it would be re required that we investigate each of these and then make a decision about how we how we continue uh, with the vaccine if if that's the decision. Um, in terms of the uh, the uh, the contractual agreement with Pfizer, um, if we if we choose not to 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 procure further doses of the um, sorry uh, the if, if we choose not to procure further doses of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, uh, uh, clearly if there is no uh, um, good reason why we're not doing that. We will still be committed for the uh, um, uh, financial uh, um, implications that are in the in the contract currently. So we would have to uh, make sure that uh, uh, we engage Johnson & Johnson if we go that route, and uh, we'd have to be the same mind about that. But I think this is very early days because uh, this is simply a pausing of the study. There's been no adverse events in South Africa. We don't know if this, these adverse events are actually linked to the, uh, to the vaccine or there are other risk factors. I think there are a number of other risk factors that cause adverse events, uh, and we would need to establish that first. Um, uh, in terms of the uh, Pfizer vaccine, it, it did have challenges, but I think all of these the, uh, challenges that came up uh, in, in, in Europe particularly were investigated. And in each case, it was found that these uh, um, um, adverse events were not related to the vaccine. They were uh, related largely to the uh, um, other comorbidities that individuals had. Remember, in, in, in Europe at the time when these adverse events arose, they were largely in the elderly who have a number of other comorbidities. So when an adverse event occurs and, and a, an individual is vaccinated, the, the, the cautionary approach is to say these adverse events are 
uh, related to the vaccine until an investigation is done. So I think that's that's uh, um, uh, um, the, the way uh, most regulators and countries approach this matter until a causal link is actually established. Um, uh, to try and explain this concept of uh, secured versus uh, um, uh, um, uh, received vaccines, etc., um, what the companies require us to do as soon as we agree on the number of doses, etc., is to sign what we call it. They call a term sheet. That term sheet contains the doses that will be supplied, the price that will be supplied, in very broad terms. That effectively secures the doses. So when we talk about doses being secured, we're talking about signing off on the term sheet. After the term sheet has been signed, they then come with a very detailed agreement, and that agreement covers a, a number of parameters um, that were not necessarily in the term sheet. And we then have to sign off on, the, on that agreement uh, before they would supply the doses, even though you've secured the dose and the price earlier, uh, they will not ship any doses to a country until those conditions are, um, are met and, and there's agreement on them. Some of the conditions, as Minister has indicated, are very onerous. Under normal circumstances in our usual contracts with pharmaceutical companies, we would not agree to those conditions. But uh, we're in a very peculiar situation where we, we, we have great need for the vaccine and uh, would have to uh, then relook at those conditions with that context in mind. Uh, so once the agreement is signed, we then receive, as part of the agreement, we, we get information about the delivery dates of those vaccines. But the delivery dates are not specific days, so they don't tell you on, on this date in May or June or July. Uh, you, you only get those dates after you, you, you pay your first uh, deposit, and following that, you then get some sense about what those dates could be. But uh, those dates are not yeah. firm, as the companies say to us. Um, we, we have to... Uh, hello? Dr. Pile, have you got, do you have a challenge to have your video on? Um, yeah, my, my, my uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, signal is not, not very good, so that's why I'd, uh, I'd switched it off. Uh, are you okay? Uh, that, that is fine. Okay, you can continue. Okay, thank, thank you, Chair. Um, then on the, on the issue relating to, 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 uh, um, the, the truncated supply from, uh, from, from Pfizer. Um, I think it's important to say that uh, Pfizer is uh, uh, trying to, to give us as many doses as they can in, in, in quarter two uh, based on our request. And so uh, these, are, these are kind of uh, uh, doses that they can release on a weekly basis. Our, our capacity to store is certainly much greater than that, but uh, clearly their demand uh, you know, way exceeds that for, at a global level. And so this is what they're able to, to provide in, in, in small quantities over, over the several weeks um, uh, that they're able to deliver doses to us. So, so we, we obviously are happy to, 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 to receive that because it uh, certainly helps, particularly in quarter two, where we're looking at trying to vaccinate as many of the high-risk groups during that time. I think it's important on the Sesonke study to make the very important point that the Sisonka study is regulated by SAPRA in terms of the number of sites it has and the way it conducts its study. As a consequence, there are very few sites that have actually been activated 
before the vaccination because that's the, in a, uh, the, the regulations that are in place uh, for them to, to do the vaccination. So it will be very slow because there's only about 40-odd sites that are doing vaccination. When we, when we move to the mass vaccination, we're talking about uh, you know, uh, um, thousands of sites. So clearly the, the, the pace at which we will be going will be much higher. We don't have to comply with necessarily all of the study requirements that Sisonke is uh, uh, um, having to comply with. And so you will certainly see a massive change. I mean, the province will then be in full control of the process. All of their clinics can, 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 can start vaccinating. Uh, uh, their hospitals can. In the private sector, a similar situation will exist. At the, uh, I mean, uh, our count was that we would have over 6,000 vaccinators available. So certainly the, the pace will be much faster uh, at which we will be vaccinating at that point. Um, uh, in, in terms of the, uh, the the issues from the J and J side on the on the low uh, adverse event of you know about one in a million, I think was the was the question. I think it is low, but but we we are um, it's important that we are cautious about these adverse events so that we understand them and we classify them as uh, uh, adverse events that are rare related to a particular risk group. So maybe we. We don't offer that vaccine to that risk group. So we, we can't simply just say we're continuing with vaccination without having an appreciation of uh, what is the, uh, the causal relationship between that. I think the question around uh, the Pfizer vaccine and the studies. So fi the Pfizer vaccine was trialed in South Africa and the trial results have been published. Uh, of the uh, of the uh, uh, Pfizer vaccine um, uh, globally as well. Those trial results are available. The the uh, effect of the uh, variant on the Pfizer vaccine has been available. Uh, this uh, effect of the variant is not in a clinical trial because when the Pfizer vaccine was trialed in South Africa, uh, the variant was not dominant. The 501YV2 variant was not dominant. So they, they didn't have results of that in their trial. What they did do thereafter is do what we call an in vitro assessment, a challenge test of the, of the vaccine against the, uh, the variant. And they found that the, the vaccine uh, uh, con uh, continues to be effective against the variant, even, even in, the, in, the, uh, in the challenge test. So, so I think um, uh, the, we, we, we are pretty uh, certain, and the, and the Ministerial Advisory Committee has looked at this data. So have other scientists, and they are pretty convinced that, uh, that the Pfizer vaccine will be effective against our, our variant. Um, the, the, the question about the, the clots and when did we know about them? So I think there is a, there is a scientific paper that's been published uh, a, a few years ago now that, that uh, identifies a number of these viral vectors that are, being, that are used by uh, most of the vaccines that are available now that do have the propensity for uh, potential clotting factors. The extent of which were, that was in that paper was uh, uh, fairly limited. But we are seeing that uh, 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 rearing its head with the with the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. We, we've seen a bit of that with the AstraZeneca vaccine. So we need to better understand that, and I think the the, the scientists need to do a lot more work on trying to understand what are the the, the 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 pathways for this to happen, and what can we do to prevent it, or which groups maybe should get a different vaccine because they may have a greater propensity for for these types of clots. Um, 
In terms of the no-fault uh, compensation system, I think when the regulations come out, they, they will there will clearly be uh, the principles relating to transparency and accountability, etc. As all uh, um, you know, funds of this nature will require to comply with the PFMA that the National Treasury uh, uh, will would require. And uh, there are a number of measures that in the that are in the regulations that outline uh, what the accountability measures will be. Um, Around the uh, detailed distribution plan of the vaccines, I think it's important to say that, uh, uh, as Minister had indicated, we would prefer that the uh, Pfizer vaccine is used predominantly in metro areas and uh, Johnson & Johnson in rural areas for a couple of reasons. The one is that the Pfizer vaccine comes in much larger dose quantity per pack. So in other words, you have 1,100 and some odd doses in one package. And you need to open the whole package. Once you open it, you must use that that package. Uh, If you don't, you may then result in wastage. The second is obviously the uh, Pfizer vaccine uh, requires specialized uh, uh, refrigeration, which is available in much larger quantities and uh, in close proximity within the metro areas than they are within the rural areas. And, and thirdly, I think the Pfizer vaccine, as you know, is a two-dose vaccine. And so with a two-dose vaccine, you want the person to obviously come back to get the second dose. And we know from our experience with other vaccines and across the world that a two-dose vaccine works better in areas where uh, people are uh, um, in a particular confined area, such as a workplace or within a, an institution where you can go back to them there and give them the second dose. If you uh, um, give uh, the Pfizer vaccine in, in a community setting, the, the likelihood of the person remembering to come back, coming back and finding them is usually a huge challenge. And that's what most countries have experienced. And so you then have a situation where many people are only vaccinated with one dose instead of the, the two doses, which is a, which is a real challenge. Um, I think in terms of the the, the um, contingency plans, we, we have certainly got the, uh, the the Pfizer vaccine as our contingency. And I think that that information uh, um, the minister has uh, shared already. On strategic sourcing, I think it's important to say that uh, there are very, very limited number of vaccine suppliers and we've been engaging with all of them. And the team that's that's involved, obviously, uh, uh, is, is supported where necessary uh, in, in, in pursuing the strategic sourcing. But basically, you just have a handful of suppliers. They're large, uh, large companies that, uh, that are, are responsible for the production of these vaccines, and we've been engaging with all of them. The, the difficulty all of them have is obviously the, the, uh, uh, the vaccines that they have um, are not in the quantities that, that, uh, that are required globally, so demand exceeds supply. And secondly, uh, in our p- particular situation, uh, we, we need to understand whether the vaccine is effective against the variant. And many of these vaccines uh, have not been assessed against the, uh, our, our variant itself to understand that. And I think that's a, that's a particular challenge for a number of, uh, of the vaccines. Um, on, the, uh, on the NDAs, uh, um, we, we have certainly approached the companies uh, um, going forward. Uh, to to say that we have a, um, a constitutional obligation to to share information uh, um, with Parliament and uh, uh, with many other bodies in terms of our accountability, and uh, many of the clauses there make it very difficult for us to share this information. 
and that uh, we would uh, uh, um, like to be released from the from of those NDAs for the purposes of sharing information. Uh, we 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 will be waiting their uh, their response on how they see that because the way the NDAs are currently crafted, uh, they they don't allow us to to share a lot of the information that we would certainly want to. Um, on the on the three vaccines that we uh, um, uh, are still engaging on, which is the uh, the Sputnik vaccine, the Sinopharm, and the Sinovac, the uh, the Sputnik vaccine, uh, there are a number of suppliers in South Africa, but the uh, suppliers in South Africa don't have a lot of the clinical and technical information relating to this vaccine, and so the ministerial advisory committees had to engage directly with the Gamalea Institute, which is done, and there are a number of areas that they. Uh, uh, requested the further information on which the Gamalea Institute didn't have at the time. But I think once that information becomes available uh, to the Gamalea Institute, uh, the Ministerial Advisory Committee can finalize its uh, view on the surprise uh, independently, also engaging with all of the suppliers. And I do know that they, they have also requested uh, information relating to various aspects of the, of the vaccine. Uh, in the case of the uh, Sinopharm vaccine, we have signed an NDA with them that, uh, as they requested. It was very similar to the other manufacturers as well. And uh, we were hoping that they would provide us with information. They then uh, indicated that at this stage, they are quite caught up with their, with their supplies in other countries and are not, not able to provide us with all the information that was required by the Ministerial Advisory Committee as well as by SAPRA. They have, however, uh, um, uh, um, registered their product or, or attempted to register their product with the, with the World Health Organization. And if, if the product uh, achieves a, a WHO uh, pre-qualification approval, that may make it easier for SAPRA to, to consider the product because uh, that information could potentially be shared with, the, with SAPRA for the purposes of, uh, of registration. So we're hoping that uh, uh, there will be some success on that front. And then in the, in the case of uh, Sinovac, uh, Sinovac has, uh, has one uh, supplier in South Africa, and the suppliers met with the Ministerial Advisory Committee and uh, has shared information. Uh, there's, there is additional information. I understand that the Ministerial Advisory Committee would require from them, and I think that's been, been communicated. Additionally, SAPRA has been meeting with, the, with Sinovac as well, uh, or, or their representative here, rather, uh, to, to, to receive that information so that they can uh, finalize their decision around it. Uh, in terms of uh, the uh, um, increases in the cases in, in Kauteng, uh, I think the, uh, the, the, the signals suggest that these were what we call uh, upticks which are small increases. They usually develop into upswings, but at this stage, they remain upticks and we keep watching them. We have a, a dashboard, uh, which is publicly available on the NICD website that identifies each district and what the, uh, the, the number of cases are and which direction they're moving in and the ones that appear to be uh, more, uh, uh, more risky than others. And uh, this is where we would engage with our provincial colleagues and ask them to to, to put in more effort to, uh, to, to uh, reduce the transmission in those areas. We have been talking to BioVac, and BioVac is part of the Ministerial Advisory Committee as well. 
they at this stage the uh, the company that's uh, responsible for the for the vaccine is still very much in the developmental phase so uh, um i think it'll it will take a while before they they are in the phase of uh, of doing clinical trials and so we would need to uh, um, await that information uh, uh so that we can make some decision uh, relating to that um i think uh, on the on the question relating to the revised uh, uh, schedules from provinces we have shared the vaccine supply volumes to to the provinces uh, we have met with them or well, we meet with them almost every other day and they have that information and so we we required from them well many of them have provided us but there's some outstanding provinces that need to give us their plan relating to the volumes that will be allocated to them um in terms of national treasury funding uh tre- national treasury has uh, given uh, provinces about 1.5 billion uh for the purposes of supporting the vaccination program uh we have also been in discussion with national treasury about receiving uh, uh about 0.9 billion to support provinces on administration where we could potentially uh, um, augment their vaccination capacity that may be to to contract in uh, uh, private providers etc that may be able to increase the the platform uh, uh, for for the province to be able to to uh, speedily deal with their with their vaccines um in terms of the uh, um uh, questions relating to the uh, um 250000 per day how would we get there i think the 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 point i was making earlier is that uh, we would proceed from 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 the current rate which is limited as i said by the um uh, sisonke study and what sapra uh, uh, requires to a point where we would then be able to open all our sites uh, public sector sites and private sector sites um and uh, um we would have uh, uh, vaccinators in each site and so the pace will be much much faster than what we we currently at um in in terms of uh, the investigation relating to the jnj i think the question was uh, whether we're awaiting only what the uh, the uh, um, us will be doing no as i was saying the uh, colleagues in sapra will be doing the investigation in addition the ministry advisory committee is going to be a meeting today and will also be providing their views around uh, around this uh, this matter um uh, chair on the question about the ebds and uh, uh, the glitches in the ebds uh, i think uh, this was linked largely to the sisonke study because we needed to add into the ebds something which we had not planned for because we didn't actually plan to be doing the sisonke study as part of the, the ebds initially and that's an informed consent in the context of a study and so that required additional programming and that programming uh, has uh, led to some glitches because it was done at the last minute as such to 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 make sure that the sisonke study is is uh, uh, rolling out but those glitches have been fixed but when we go to the ebds uh, uh, um as we had planned prior to the sisonke study um we don't anticipate any of those there's been a lot of uh, uh, stress testing on the ebds system and all of the reports that we've seen thus far suggest that the system will be able to to tolerate the um, the, the number of uh, um uh, Uh, applications uh, for for vaccination the vaccination process etc uh, should be addressed um certainly i think uh, the over 60s many will not be able to use uh, uh, the it system required for the ebds um and so what we've made provision for is that in addition to the uh, to the it system where maybe a family member can do the registration for their for the over 60 uh 
uh, they, uh, a person could arrive at the vaccination site and that registration can be done at the vaccination site. We are also planning a call center where the vaccine, uh, where the, the registration can be done over the, over t- the uh, telephone so that we have uh, multiple uh, um, opportunities. I understand a number of provinces are also planning to do community-based uh, registrations on the EVDS. The importance of the registration is that it then allows the facility to, to plan and, and schedule people so they don't necessarily have to have long queues in the facility and people will know exactly when to go and what time. And uh, we don't anticipate long uh, uh, waiting times then in that context, which would also then address the, uh, the issues of social distancing, etc. The, the uh, vaccination sites, many provinces have identified the vaccination sites. Some sites will not be there all of the time because once uh, the, that community has been vaccinated, they would want to move on. But we would, uh, uh, we would certainly be communicating all the sites. And once a, an individual is registered on the EVDS, the scheduling system will send a message uh, informing the individual that you will be going to excite on this day and time, uh, which would then uh, um, certainly provide the individual with a specific site where, where, they, where they need to be vaccinated. Adiji, I tried to, to address uh, many of the questions, uh, but I think there's a few that uh, are still left. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, <clears throat> Dr. Pillay. Um, uh, I think you've covered uh, most of the questions. The few that I just want uh, to uh, cover, um, uh, Honorable Chair, um, uh, is um, um, I think it's the issue of uh, uh, Ms. Mposeleka. Uh, we did uh, ask for more information on the matter. Indeed, uh, 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 Dr. Seleka was dismissed on the 16th of March this year, uh, but the matter is not closed because she has appealed. So the internal processes of uh, her dismissals uh, uh, are not yet finalized. Uh, so um, we did get information from the CEO. We will uh, officially respond in writing to the Honourable Member because we recently got the letter from the CEO um, uh, of uh, the National Health Laboratory Services. Um, uh, uh, so we do have some details. Uh, but as a procedure, uh, someone, uh, if someone has been dismissed, they have the right to appeal. Uh, uh, and, and then if, if they, they, again they lose on appeal, uh, they still have the right to take the matter directly with the CEO. Uh, if uh, uh, with the CEO they still uh, still upheld, then they have a right to go to the CCMA, um, uh, and then if at the CCMA uh, they still an issue, then they still they are still uh, um, uh, labor court uh, 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 that uh, can be approached uh, in terms of that. So we'll update the members as soon as um, they, they brief us on the outcome of the appeal, which has not set as yet. Uh, but I, I must mention uh, that it's an internal matter that is still ongoing. And, uh, and we will await um, uh, the, uh, the outcome uh, uh, of, the, of the final internal processes. Um, and then the next one is the issue of um, the Eastern Cape. Um, uh, yes, uh, I think uh, Dr. Tembewayo is correct. Um, the, the, the department uh, did extend the contracts for three months. This was based on their discussions with their own internal treasury and the availability of the funding. And I am aware that they are still having discussions with internal treasury. I did have a discussion uh, with the HOD uh, to see what are the possibilities beyond the three months that they've extended. Uh, it, it's difficult. Everyone has really taken um, a knock in terms of the budget cuts. So uh, we will update uh, the members in terms of that. 
Then the issue of the, uh, the, the interns uh, who are mainly medical authorities in Gauteng. I, I had actually uh, said officially uh, something to the head of department and I will follow up today and respond through our PLO to the honorable member because I did have specific names. Actually, some of those names were shared uh, with me by also our deputy minister. So I will follow up with the head of department in Gauteng to check what is uh, the actual matter in terms of that. And uh, Honorable Minister I, uh, and Deputy Minister, I think uh, Dr. Pile has really covered most of the questions. We will then uh, hand back to the Minister and Deputy Minister. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, uh, could you check if Deputy Minister would like to come in before I round up? Well, thanks, thanks uh, uh, Honourable Chair and Honourable Members, uh, Honourable uh, Minister and uh, uh, Members of the Department. Uh, uh, just one uh, emphasis, uh, I know that a number of uh, Honourable Members have uh, been emphasising on the point of scepticism uh, based on the numbers uh, of health workers who have been vaccinated thus far. I know Dr. Pillay uh, did uh, uh, touch on it, but just as a matter of emphasis to honorable members, uh, we urge you uh, uh, really, you know, uh, not to be too skeptical about this because uh, you know that uh, the background to this is the fact that uh, there were already a million doses of AstraZeneca vaccines with 500, which was to also uh, be delivered in a few weeks' time. Uh, the, the fact that that uh, vaccine was not, uh, the rollout of that vaccine was discontinued because of the uh, report uh, from um, the trial studies which were done in South Africa, which showed limited efficacy. That clearly set us backwards. And we, as you know, uh, the Sisonke uh, uh, phase uh, 3B trial, which is being used to vaccinate uh, the healthcare workers was really came in as a rescue plan uh, to make sure that uh, in the absence of the uh, large doses, uh, over the one and a half million secured of AstraZeneca, which couldn't be utilized, we had to then go to uh, the, the, the Sisonga trial. Now, um, uh, clearly, as uh, Minister and uh, DG and other colleagues have outlined what has been uh, secured thus far. Um, you, we urge you to, to indeed have uh, faith in, in the department that um, uh, pending the uh, uh, clearing on the current difficulty with the J&J, &J, and we hope that this will be very limited. Once that can be uh, overcome uh, and the delivery of doses happens as committed by the manufacturers, clearly all the sites... Uh, more than 2,000 all over the country, which have been already, you know, prepared, will be rolled out and, and the numbers will be ramped up. So I think it's probably unfair for members to judge us on the basis of a setback with what has already been uh, planned. So I just want to urge members to indeed be considerate in that regard. Secondly, just the, the next point I wanted to just comment on is the fact that uh, um, <clears throat> ourselves as the country and, and several countries in the world, we are all in a difficult situation 
because of the fact that the pandemic is wreaking havoc, causing a lot of death and uh, a lot of destruction of normal life, uh, of economies. And therefore, um, we're all in, you know, under pressure to find solutions. Um, as you could see, just with the AstraZeneca, we, had, we took a precaution, but already some uh, members of society and leaders already criticizing that we should have gone ahead. But I can tell you now that uh, if, we could, if we had gone ahead disregarding the scientific report, equally we would have been hammered. Now, the same with the, uh, uh, the kind of onerous conditions which the manufacturers are putting, uh, and also the risks in terms of as much as all our regulators and various authorities, including the WHO, are helping to make sure that there is also uh, risk mitigation in terms of safety, not just efficacy, but also safety. Um, the, the reality of the matter is that all this is being done in a very fast-tracked fashion because normally all these things of vaccines and new medications are, are tested over a long period and tested again, tested again, and then uh, until they can be rolled out on, on a mass basis. But because of the pressure of this pandemic, as, uh, many of this had to be conge uh, uh, congested and be uh, fast-tracked. And, and therefore, in the process as we implement all over the world, there will be some challenges here and there. It's a question of balance, as uh, you'll hear various um, medical and other scientists saying. It's a, it's all, it's, there's all, always going to be a balance between uh, how, how much can we save lives, while at the same time knowing that because of the fact that many of this, which, which usually take long time, have been congested into shorter periods, there will be some risks and always there will be a balance between how much life can you save while at the same time knowing that because of the congested period of testing and, 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 and so on, there will be some risks. But uh, all, all the time for us is going to be to balance that and, and reduce the risk as much as possible. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. Uh, back to the uh, Minister. Thank you very much, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Honourable, for the discussion, the questions, the comments, the ones where you've given us advices. We have noted the concerns. We are also going to try and give you more uh, answers as much as we can. The issues raised already uh, by <coughs> the Honourable, uh, by the members of the Department and the Deputy Minister, we are all together on those. Uh, can I just clarify a few uh, that raised by Honorable Shema Why uh, did we have few people uh, vaccinated over the last weekend? Was it linked to this issue? Well, no. Uh, the delay has really been <clears throat> because of the uh, in slow delivery of the vaccines. It didn't have to do anything to do with our concern about the adverse effects that have been reported. Uh, whilst there have been these uh, uh, adverse reports reported before, uh, uh, which uh, have been part of the uh, literature, there had not been much really found in real um, life situation. So uh, we only became aware of these issues as they were arising mainly in the U.S. <clears throat> in the past few days, and therefore our decision to suspend 
has been largely uh, um, made based on the consultation that we have had with our own scientists and experts in the country, the ethics committees that were consulted, the head of the ministerial advisory committees were consulted, and the, um, the head of the uh, Medical Research Council. We all agreed that uh, we need to take this seriously and hold <coughs> temporarily. Uh, we also noted that uh, the, um, the uh, uh, Johnson & Johnson <coughs> had also uh, suggested that this should be done in Europe. So we thought it's important for us to be aligned in this, in this case. At the moment, we don't see that there's going to be a serious impact of the rollout, on the rollout because we have had very few people <coughs> vaccinated and that there are only um, a few, uh, about 200,000 that needs to be uh, concluded in the within the next uh, week, within this week, without a problem if we have to resume. Uh, so it's not a big uh, problem as it were. We're not yet considering the uh, termination of the contract. So at that level, we're not looking at that uh, issue at this point. Then uh, the Honorable Munyai was asking about how much was uh, um, allocated by National Treasury for vaccine administration. Well, National Treasury has allocated over 10, million, 10 billion rand uh, to deal with the issue of the procurement of the vaccine. But the rest of the um, administrative costs that relate to the accessories and the staff and so on will be carried by the departments, both at provincial <clears throat> and national level on the basis of existing uh, allocations. So there is no specific uh, allocation from Treasury for that one. Then uh, <clears throat> the Honorable uh, Imam Sheikh has raised the issue, what if uh, we don't use uh, Johnson & Johnson? Uh, I'd like to suggest that at this point, we must consider this to be a precautionary um, uh, halting of the program and that uh, we will have enough information that's going to guide us in this regard and uh, in this process we are in consultation with the Africa Center for Disease Control as well as WHO and uh, we will also be looking at what is going on in the rest of the other countries and therefore we'll be able to proceed from that point of, of view. <coughs> Then, uh, of course, the manufacturers have uh, put very stringent conditions, uh, particularly on the issue of the no-fault compensation fund. However, we have accepted that this is a, a, a good proposal as such. <clears throat> the only thing we couldn't agree is that uh, the uh, uh, manufacturers could have a discretion of deciding on what to do with our assets if they are not happy with the no-fault compensation fund. But that, that compensation fund is important. We all agree and we believe that it needs to be extended to deal with the cover for protecting people against any medical legal injuries that arise in the course of normal health care. And so it might be the future we'll have to take. And so I think it's important for us to invest in it. But uh, uh, the Honorable Member says we needed to have acted timelessly uh, on this question of the Johnson & Johnson. We actually have acted timelessly in this case. Uh, this matter has only arisen in the past few days. And uh, on that point of view, we feel that uh, uh, we've acted uh, adequately. There are people who have asked us why even do we want to uh, even take that precaution, but we believe that uh, it's correct that we dealt with it that way. Health workers have been given access to uh, Johnson & Johnson, 
and uh, all of those who have come for it have actually uh, done so willingly uh, and with a lot of enthusiasm knowing <clears throat> what uh, the uh, vaccines uh, situation is all about. They've had their consent signed and so uh, they are not being put with no choice as such. However, those who might have wanted a different option will actually have access to the Pfizer um, vaccine later on in the, in the course of uh, uh, May, so that, that covers them. Then uh, uh, there's an issue that is difficult for us to, uh, uh, to respond to, and that relates to issues that relates to the, the data about Johnson & Johnson as a company involvement of the payment of hundreds of dollars and how they control drug prices and all of that. We, we're not part of that discussion, and so it's difficult for us to respond to all of these issues. All we can say is that uh, on what we are dealing with, to respond to that. <clears throat> uh, uh, the, the challenges Pfizer might have had in, in with, um, adverse effects uh, relating to the um, in relation to um, uh, what we call uh, the, the adverse effect on vaccination. Uh, I think we, the whole world is going through those lessons at this point to find out what is it that is significant, what is it that needs to be acted against, what is it that we need to send, send uh, precautionary uh, warnings to all the um, you know, recipients or potential recipients about. So I think that's the same kind of information. That we that we are dealing with. Uh, I will follow up on the issue of uh, investigation on SAPRA. Uh, I, I I don't have any of that information immediately. I will not be able to respond yet, but we'll follow that one up. The in, with regards to ivermectin, <clears throat> uh, the issue is that um, uh, you you the I think if referring to uh, SAPRA having kind of uh, uh, allowed uh, lives to be lost. I think it's an incorrect, it's an incorrect um, um, point uh, to, to make. It's not a correct uh, uh, set of situations. SAPRA uh, basically analyzes what has been submitted for uh, its own um, <clears throat> um, approval. And therefore, it cannot, SAPRA cannot be held responsible for uh, issues that take place outside that setting. And so I, I don't agree that we should be putting punitive costs at that level. However, the issue of uh, SAPRA, uh, as far as we are concerned, there has not been a change from the original position that uh, evidence is still uh, uh, quite weak, uh, that uh, it does not confirm that uh, you know uh, ivermectin can be used uh, without any form of uh, uh, over uh, oversight being put on it. And so that's the understanding. In fact, uh, uh, our ministerial advisory committee as well reviewed this issue three times and came to the same conclusion. So a number of bodies, uh, 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 the um, uh, US CDC, uh, FDA, WHO, NIH, a whole lot of them have been aligned to the same thinking uh, that the evidence is weak and then uh, it 
it, it, uh, and then shows nothing of minimal benefit in very small, small um, poor design so which means we need to actually do a much bigger study. If I may as well read from what uh, the WHO statement <coughs> says, it says that uh, the only because of the clinical trajectory uh, of any disease's severity. And so we can convince that uh, the SAPRA is actually guidance is. So I think we can continue talking about it, but I think we need to understand what is the basis of what decision that uh, SAPRA has taken. Nevertheless, uh, uh, doctors can continue to uh, order the drug on the basis of the Section 21 arrangements where in there to take responsibility for the, uh, for the uh, outcome <clears throat> to the particular patients. The Honorable Kwahube raises issues about the confusing terms. I, um, I think uh, uh, Dr. Anban Pile has tried to explain a bit of technicality, but at least where we are now, we are saying that our orders are confirmed on these particular uh, vaccines and that uh, we are uh, then expecting that they should be delivered on those. <clears throat> of course, give or take some of the logistical issues that come in and some of the uh, uh, things that might need to be cleaned up in the communication between us and the manufacturing companies. But that um, the 300,000 that have been vaccinated have come through the um, Johnson & Johnson Sisonke protocol. And this we have said before that because of our uh, disappointment with the uh, AstraZeneca results, we then felt that we needed to bridge the gap, but we were aware that uh, whilst there was a commitment to get, as we understand that uh, there's been delays in the way that this has been done, and this is a problem for us uh, in the sense that uh, uh, the, 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 the numbers uh, will not vaccinate at full steam. Nevertheless, we did understand that we can't blame anybody for that. Then uh, the weekly breakdown of the vaccines uh, for example, with Pfizer, they've indicated to us that it is much easier for them to think uh, on a regular basis uh, and uh, based on their ability to satisfy various players. So uh, to, that to that extent, uh, you know, they said they want to use the Kanban system, which means they can get the stuff to us as soon as we're going to need it so that we don't end up having to store millions of vaccines that they could have used somewhere else and yet, in fact, uh, are vaccinating at a particular rate. So that becomes one of the rate determining steps in the speed of the rollout of the vaccine. Uh, but uh, I think we need to accept that uh, the slowness of the pace, as uh, Deputy Minister was indicating, has really been related to the fact that uh, we had all the vaccines ready, we're ready for the vaccination, but we couldn't go, we couldn't go ahead. So to say it's criminally slow, I think it's also not... Uh, uh, it's, it's in an appropriate uh, terminology to use. So the numbers that are vaccinated, <coughs> excuse me, at this point uh, um, uh, will be, uh, whilst these are fewer, but in fact they will be actually increased in the next few weeks when all these vaccines land <coughs> in the particular in the in, in the country. An interesting issue that is being raised by owner. 
Minister, you are now, you know, when we deal with these vaccine issues, we always get to be on the receiving end from public first. Some of my colleagues and then communicate through those colleagues. If you give me a few seconds to try and connect uh, through another phone, then I'm going to connect. You are right now. Oh, okay. You are right now. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. Uh, it looks like it's very fluctuating. But nevertheless, let me come back to, the, to this issue because Honorable Kwakube is raising a question which is a very significant issue, actually. <clears throat> the question is, will there be a vaccine or a drug that has got no side effect? The answer is no. The question is whether you have the cost-benefit analysis, the benefits of use, uh, are, if they, the benefits exceed the, uh, the risk of uh, the use of the medication, then we use that medication. In this case, uh, the figure of six uh, um, uh, side uh, adverse effects out of six million is actually not a huge number uh, to hold the entire um, program. It is an important issue to, for us to take into account. We need an analysis on that to be able to know what is it that's causing it so that we must see how to limit the impact of those uh, side effects. For example, will there is there a causal link between the vaccine and the and the effect that's been observed. Is there, are there other conditions that are associated? Do we think it's got to do with the vaccine or the reaction to the vaccine, or what do we think it is? Are there conditions of age, of gender, of uh, use of uh, contraception or other medication, comorbidities, any familial factors, any other cardiovascular or other allergic or connective tissue disorders and all of this? These are the things that the answers must give us now. But we know that the answers that we'll get now are not going to be accurate. It will take us a while before we can get adequate information from the scientific research. So uh, in terms of the sizes, I think that the amount, the numbers that are involved are not significant to pose a huge risk on the entire population. Nevertheless, it needs to be investigated and we shouldn't make it as an opinion. It should come in as a considered view of our experts. So that is why we have taken the approach that we have taken. Now, <clears throat> the point we're making about the letter from the TTI is that we, I was sitting in the meeting and I was specifically saying, what are the terms and conditions? And we satisfied all of those. Then the issue is that the issue, the, the letter is a different minister, different department, but we have already uh, complied with all the regulations. And all we're just trying to demonstrate is that uh, these conditions sometimes come in and as you move on, these conditions uh, keep uh, evolving. And this is for me, the point we're making. We, we will deal with this issue in the way that it needs to be dealt with. But why was, what we're saying is that uh, at this point, we are we're trying to explain the conditions which are involved in the negotiations and how the situation keeps evolving. And when we explain the difficulty, we're just trying to ensure that the by parliamentary, uh, the, the, the parliament, uh, uh, parliamentary portfolio committee appreciates what goes into the negotiations and what goes into the terms and conditions that we've been, been asked to talk about. That's what it's all about. 
Then uh, the Honorable Ismail, uh, uh, Dr. Pillay has answered some of the issues. Just to say that uh, the uh, regulations that are coming up uh, can be also commented upon to in include any additional um, requirements for transparency and uh, fight against corruption. The, the public is, is free to do that. Uh, we, we can say that uh, it will be an independent body that will be presided by Chief Justice. And this is basically to make sure that it's transparent and also we can deal with issues of, of corruption. Uh, we are convinced though that uh, even though there have been reports that uh, the Pfizer uh, has shown a dilution in terms of the neutralizing effect on the 501YV2 uh, variant, we actually have an effective uh, you know, um, uh, vaccine against that variant. Uh, some work that's been done in laboratory has indicated that uh, there's still quite a lot of neutralizing effect in this regard. So we will continue to use it. Then we have also uh, indicated that we will show the distribution per province. Uh, it will go to show distribution per province and to the public sector and the private sector. When that is ready, we'll make sure that that is made available. Uh, then looking at the numbers that we have uh, reported, we expect that those numbers will actually guide the rate at which we vaccinate our people. And so that's why we're transparent about it so that the members must not be so um, <clears throat> uh, pessimistic about the fact that this process is actually gaining momentum and is going to be quite uh, effectively rolled out in the next few weeks. Honorable Jacobs uh, has uh, uh, indicated appreciation of the immensity of the work that the department is involved in and we do appreciate that. And also that uh, <clears throat> everything that has been done, in fact, uh, part of what we've uh, negotiated has assisted for the AU to uh, use it as a framework to negotiate uh, terms not worse than what we have achieved in South Africa. So we think that uh, our team has really done <clears throat> their best to try and deal with this issue. So the uh, NFC, uh, the, the non, uh, the, the uh, no fault uh, compensation fund, uh, the, the um, regulations will be released and therefore when they are published we need comments, but we have actually been pleased to see that uh, 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 Judge Ngobo uh, is prepared, uh, former Chief Justice, is prepared to actually lead this, we think he's got adequate experience to deal with that. And so most of the funds that we are talking about Basically, all the funds that are involved in this uh, no-fall no compensation fund will have come from Treasury. Somebody asked if the manufacturers are going to make a contribution. There's no provision for the manufacturers to make a provision. But we think that we need to do everything to protect our people, and therefore the fiscals will deal with that issue. Then uh, Honorable Kenny Jacobs raised the confusion about Western Cape procuring its own vaccine. I really don't understand why the Western Cape uh, would have made such a statement when they know, firstly, that uh, all the vaccines are procured by national government, both for, pu for public sector and for private sector, and that uh, we have all worked on this together. It's really the quickest way of limiting corruption and also ensuring that we can have a fair distribution inside the country. We have also indicated that uh, Treasury um, has had to make certain special um, you know, um, provisions to allow the country to be able to procure stuff, uh, the, the vaccines in a manner <clears throat> that uh, is not necessarily in keeping with our normal supply chain uh, provisions, which no province could ever be allowed to do when in fact it's all done together. 
on behalf of all of the provinces. So the province also cannot on its own give all these indemnities, these guarantees, and immunity to these obligations to any manufacturing company unless the national government has done so. So it was not possible for the province to actually procure any of these uh, vaccines for itself. But they will actually have adequate provision. As we've indicated, we have more uh, vaccines uh, available for all the provinces, and so there will be equity in the distribution for all the provinces. Honorable Kela has asked how to ensure the integrity of the vaccines. Yes, there is a very sophisticated software that focus, follows up with the vaccine storage so that they can always see whether there's been any breach in the vaccine, uh, um, uh, what do you call, um, uh, um, uh, uh, cold chain uh, um, storage uh, conditions. It can be picked up uh, and therefore that will always be audited. And secondly, if you look at every batch, there is also an indication as to whether there's been tampering with any vaccine. And so we will be able to deal with that. And when the vaccines land in the country, we go through a quality control analysis that makes sure that we've got the quality of the, of the vaccine. And as we take them into the various provinces, we've checked that the storage is going to be adequate and that there's adequate training for the various uh, uh, vaccines so that uh, everything is done in such a way that uh, there's minimal wastage and uh, uh, you know, a loss of uh, integrity of the vaccines. We will have to publish uh, the, vac the vaccination sites. Uh, the challenge with the vac vaccination sites is that uh, we've given the numbers, but there's still a number of them where we are uh, you know, trying to refine and disagree and, and whether in fact this should be the right place or not. So as soon as that has been done between us and the province and the private sector, they will be made available. <coughs> Excuse me. Honorable Sakers has raised the issue of uh, dismay about the terms demanded of government. I'm glad that at this point uh, our honorable members appreciate what has caused all this time the delays in the negotiations because of the onerous nature of these terms and conditions. But all of that is behind us at this point. <coughs> Excuse me. So uh, the issue on Pfizer uh, reported from Israel is not different to the uh, reports that we've got. And this basically refers to the dilution, but it doesn't mean that Pfizer is ineffective against 501 V2. <coughs> on the issue of strategic procurement, <coughs> excuse me, uh, the issue uh, of uh, procurement is largely concluded. So I don't think we need assistance there. Where the uh, department would need a lot of assistance is in the uh, procuring of the capacity at the vaccination level, uh, uh, distri uh, distribution of the vaccine and at the vaccination point. So if there's any need for us to make a call, we'll come back to parliament on that one. I think a very important point we are raising about the rising level of vaccine refusal and hesitancy, we will engage uh, with the relevant sectors particularly as you indicate the involvement of the Pentecostal and Charismatic Churches. We've got this message and there is, a, 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 there is work being done with various church formations to help us to reach out to the people so that there's no fear of vaccines. So we will work on those issues. The uh, Honorable Tembegwayo uh, has raised the issue of the Chinese and Russian uh, vaccines engagement. This has been explained, but just to say that uh, we still uh, are pursuing uh, procuring some of the vaccines from these two. Uh, in particular, we have actually said, <coughs> said that uh, 
uh, our experts must try and expedite this discussion. I have been in contact, in contact with a number of these companies personally, as well as our, tech, our, our teams. We're aware that the process of registration of both the Sputnik and Sinov, and Sinovac is actually on course, although Sinopharm is still a bit behind. So we, we haven't given up on these particular uh, vaccines. We believe that uh, there will still be a need for us to approach those. The issue of the rising cases has been attended to. <clears throat> At this point, we're not so uh, uh, worried that there's an immediate wave, but we are going to continue to watch that space. Uh, the, <clears throat> the, um, uh, there has been a discussion with some of the, um, uh, I think uh, we, we have had a discussion with uh, Mr. Patrick Sun Xiong, uh, who is a South African from Port Elizabeth, was indicated that he wanted to go to the next generation of vaccine. And uh, he's working with a number of uh, 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 companies in South Africa and uh, uh, research institutions were very keen on that work. And so uh, we've had me a meeting with him together with Minister for, Tra for uh, Science and Technology and Innovation. And that process says to us, <clears throat> there's a hope that we could actually reach second generation type of vaccines, but also that South Africa could end up playing a role in this regard if all of that becomes successful. So we're fully aware of that particular uh, area. The provincial vaccine schedule, yes, is dependent on the national vaccines uh, delivery, but uh, we, will, we will all align, we'll align all of it so that there's no problem with any particular province uh, in terms of the vaccination availability. Let me also say that uh, the points you raised about uh, uh, the uh, Eastern Cape and the Inten and <clears throat> that has been raised, I think the DG has dealt with those particular issues. Honorable uh, 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 Chirwa raised the question of why Johnson & Johnson in, in, in rural and Pfizer in the cities. It was a matter of convenience. Uh, it will be areas where we find that there's easy storage capacity and there's high population numbers that we use for, uh, Pfizer because we'd like to find people who can be available within a very short uh, distance from the vaccination center. We also want to make sure that in the rural areas, the storage uh, demands don't compromise the quality of the vaccines and that uh, you could, once off dose makes it easy for people where there's uh, transport challenges and so on. But we are quite confident on the uh, efficacy of the Johnson & Johnson. So it's not seen in any way as any inferior uh, vaccine. Uh, as, as you would, uh, obviously know, honorable members, both the president and myself uh, have actually taken that vaccine. And at this point, we're feeling quite uh, happy that uh, uh, you know, that vaccine uh, is, is suitable for, for use. Uh, and therefore, uh, it will be uh, the way of just managing the uh, logistics as well as making ease of administration. And that's what we're looking at. And so uh, we, we, we're looking at it from that point of view. Although there will be some uh, on the, in the areas, particularly in the urban areas, we may be also using uh, Johnson Johnson, particularly in areas where we've got migrant communities, which are moving and not, not easy to find in the same place uh, again uh, uh, easily. So we are looking at it from, from that uh, point of view. We note your concern about the capacity in the uh, department. We'll be building it up. And as the deputy minister indicated, we are going to be uh, looking at that, uh, giving you a positive experience rather than the sense of disparation that you are expressing at this point. Uh, we, we have uh, given the update on the uh, Sputnik and Sinovac. And also we have said in the past that uh, we're working with uh, 
Cuba on the Sobana, and then that is was still at earlier on in this form in this stage of development. I must also uh, again repeat that uh, between uh, the uh, BRICS partners, there has been uh, an, a decision to work together to build a vaccine institute, and we hope South Africa will work uh, together uh, with those to build that capacity. We have our own experts who have the capacity to investigate and analyze all the literature, and therefore they'll be giving us the guidance uh, in terms of what happened to the Johnson & Johnson. We're not going to only rely on FDA. Uh, as you would have seen uh, in the past when we dealt with AstraZeneca, we used our own experts to give us a sense as to what is useful for South Africa. Even though AstraZeneca was successful in the UK, in, in, in Brazil and other parts of the world, we had to take our own decisions. So please rest assured that uh, our own scientists and experts are good enough for us to take guidance from. We don't only uh, uh, get guided by what happens in other countries. However, we note what goes on there and we take into account our own situation. And uh, we will, by next week, uh, by first by um, May, have uh, uh, Pfizer as well, which means if there are any delays on Johnson & Johnson, the uh, vaccination program will not be delayed. It will still continue. We have indicated that uh, with uh, this Sputnik and, uh, and, uh, uh, Sputnik and um, uh, uh, Sinovac, uh, we will continue to follow those up, and hopefully at some point that will also be available. We keep in mind that uh, this is a new ter ter territory and therefore there may well be new unexpected things that will arise, but we think that the scientific um, uh, findings up to now uh, have guided us to be where we are. And we must say that we think that it's important uh, for us to continue with that guidance, knowing that uh, surprises will arise or knowing that uh, there will be you know, areas where they will need to intervene in a particular way, but all of that is going to be part of managing a very complex process which no one in the world has got experience over and therefore we keep learning from one another and also learning from our own experience. Then the issue of uh, Dr. Selega, it has been responded to. Um, uh, Honorable Chairperson, the issue of the slide on Sputnik on Sinovac, on Sinovac we will not work on that one. The issue of vaccination sites, as I've indicated, uh, the, the list is very long. And so uh, we will at some point then make it public. But in the process, uh, there's quite a lot of cleaning up that we have to do. Uh, uh, we, we still have a number of areas where we have to clean it up and uh, that disagreement on some areas, we're refining it, etc. So that, 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 that will be made available. A very important point about the uh, um, electronic vaccination data system is that uh, in registering. So we have made provision for that. They, 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 they either can do it uh, electronically uh, themselves, but if they are not able to do so, in some instances, there's a, a proposal for community health workers to assist them, and that will also be helpful. But nevertheless, uh, when we call for uh, vaccination of the elderly, uh, we'll, in, we'll invite them to the sites and that, uh, they will be registered on site. The, uh, the um, prior registration helps us to plan, but uh, uh, effectively we need the record of who has been vaccinated. So we will do it even, uh, uh, we will do the vaccination and we'll register people on the spot if they come and it's their turn to come. And then uh, we make sure that no one is disadvantaged by lack of, te of uh, technology. So we would then uh, be looking out for any form of confusion that needs to be cleared in communicating 
to the elderly uh, 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 with regard to uh, the times at which uh, we need them to come for vaccination. With all of this, uh, we will be doing regular updates as you have uh, requested. Uh, we do say that uh, there's quite a lot of discussion and work that goes on also behind the scenes with various departments, various committees, various work streams uh, into the interministerial committee, into the National Coronavirus Command Council, into the net joint. So all of this work uh, will uh, play itself out as you see the rollout of the vaccination program, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, playing up in, in, in the next few weeks. We are very confident at this point that, uh, you know, everything uh, is on course for us to be able to get the vaccination moving. And so those who have kind of felt uh, that the um, slow um, vaccination rate in the past few weeks uh, might be something that uh, would be a matter of concern, I would say yes, <clears throat> we were all concerned about it, but nevertheless, uh, that is going to be now solved with these numbers of vaccines that we have uh, announced. In the past, we had not announced that we will have as many of these vaccines. And uh, when we did have some challenges in the delivery, we have explained that. But in the future, we expect that uh, we will uh, be guided by all of these vaccines that should be coming through. We're looking forward to uh, working together with all communities, with all leaders in society, with all sectors of society, so that uh, we deliver a very uh, successful uh, vaccination program that will ensure that all South Africans are protected from COVID-19 and that uh, we will continue to use our uh, non-pharmaceutical non interventions, the use of masks, the use of uh, you know, distancing, uh, social distancing, uh, hand sanitizers, hand washing, and then encouraging people to be uh, in uh, uh, you know, well-ventilated areas so that we can continue to push away this, uh, uh, th the third wave. We have actually had our discussion with, uh, with uh, modelers. At some point, we'll actually do that presentation all in all, the modelers are also indicating that uh, it's largely going to be human behavior that's going to determine by which, uh, when we are likely to get the the the, um, uh, uh, the the resurgence. So I would like to encourage all South Africans to continue with the way we have managed so far, so that we can stay in this plateau for much longer, and it will help us if we can vaccinate as many people whilst we are in this uh, plateau. Uh, although we have seen in other countries that uh, the fact that the vaccination had started, even with millions of people having been vaccinated, they were still uh, experiencing the resurgence. But in our case, without the vaccine, uh, you know, being widespread, we still were able to reduce the resurgence so that uh, we're now at a plateau. If we could continue to maintain this situation, we would then be in a position to uh, delay the next uh, 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 resurgence so that uh, you know, we save more South Africans' lives and of course, we want to make sure that the vaccines are as successful uh, uh, in uh, preventing any further uh, severity of infections, as well as hospitalization and deaths. With that, uh, Honorable Chairperson, I'd like to bring that uh, uh, presentation from our department to an end. Thank you very much. Honorable, Honorable Minister, uh, I'm not about to release you yet. Uh, there are three members who have requested each one does one follow-up, and I'll time them. One follow-up member is three of them in this order. Honorable Ismail, Honorable Sukers, and Honorable Sheikh Imam. Just three of them, each one question. Thank you. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Minister, for all your responses. Um, 
Minister, the J&J trials were only evaluated for a period of efficacy around 60 to 70 days. And the Pfizer vaccine last, uh, you know, the trials were done for around six months. Now, there's been a social media report stating that healthcare workers should possibly get a second J&J booster shot. Does this mean that the original J&J, you know, the original one, one boost is not effective? Um, in the same media statement, it was stated that, you know, they, uh, J&J would do a two-day schedule to determine whether, you know, there is a longer-lasting protection with two doses. Has the department received any feedback on this? Or can you please give us clarity and feedback on this matter? Thank you. Chair, did you hear me? Yes, Honorable Sukars. You're not having a question. Um, no, Chair, I, I will ask the question. I just want to um, raise the concern um, that was that um, has been brought to our attention with where healthcare workers are concerned. Um, I heard the Minister speak about um, the tracking of adverse, um, adverse reactions to the vaccine. I have had um, reports from healthcare workers, firstly, that there is a low um, buy-in from healthcare workers around the vaccines. And I think we have um, uh, um, established uh, some of the concerns as well or raised it. And the second is that where there were adverse, um, adverse reactions that staff has been asked to not speak about it. Now that is a concern, and we've and I've raised it in terms of the excess, um, in terms of the ND, uh, the non-disclosed agreements and the um, need for transparency. This feeds obviously into more concerns for us um, as as uh, members of parliament, and also to, because it reflects um, the concerns of our constituents that are saying that um, uh, um, healthcare workers are muzzled. Um, when they do show um, any kind of adverse effects. Thank you. Thank, thank you, uh, uh, Chairperson. Let me come in here. Uh, Minister, I'm not satisfied with the explanation that you have given. In your explanation, Minister, you have conceded that the evidence is weak. It is not true that you now need a Section 21 application to roll out ivermectin. In terms of the settlement agreement, ivermectin can be used without any such Section 21 application anymore. Now, FDA, World Health Organization, all these institutions, which agree, and I also agree, that there might not be enough evidence yet that uh, uh, ivermectin works for COVID-19, but that is as a result of the limited tests and trials. However, the limited tests and trials that have been done has proven without any doubt great efficacy in fighting COVID-19. Now then, what is the reason that SEPRA and you as the National Department of Health not done anything that you've now agreed to roll it out? Is it because now you, with the vaccines are procured, so the vaccine, uh, uh, pharmaceutical industry is protected and their interest has been seen to? Now we want to roll out the, uh, the ivermectin? Because there's no change in the evidence, and yet you've changed the decision. And two million rand later, many lives being lost later. So I'd like you to give me an explanation. Why did we change our attitude and our decision when there is no new evidence? 
Honorable Minister, those are the three questions for you, and then after that, you are done. Um, thank you very much, Honorable uh, Honorable uh, uh, Chairperson. Um, so the, the there is the issue <clears throat> that uh, the Honorable Imam Sheikh is raising. I have said I've read the latest of the uh, of the um, uh, report uh, which guides us from the uh, from the uh, w we, we, we stand and uh, there are issues that are still going on on the court matter uh, which uh, as far as the um, uh, Sapra has reported to me that uh, Sapra, they are appealing uh, clauses one and two, which were not discussed. And the judge stated that uh, he had had the counsel for the applicant. And it's, it's a bit of a, a lengthy matter that uh, is being dealt with. So there is that issue in court. I, I didn't want to go into that. But just to say, we will still insist that uh, the position of the WHO that the current evidence on the use of ivermectin to treat COVID-19 patients is inconclusive. Whatever else we do, we need to understand that that's where we're coming from. But to link that to the interest of the uh, 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 pharmaceutical companies, we, we're not involved in uh, taking care of uh, interests of pharmaceutical companies. We're simply basing the decision. Uh, as a regulator, they have to focus on available evidence, available findings from the studies that have been done. So that is really what guides us in terms of what, how we deal with this particular issue. And so I don't believe that there's much more <clears throat> we can do. Uh, the point at the end of the day is that if it remains, the evidence remains inconclusive, the matter will remain on the table for debate until we've got conclusive evidence that takes us on whatever direction that it ultimately uh, uh, proves. So that is really how we would want to look at it. Then, uh, but then why are you allowing it? We have said that uh, the evermectin, the, the doctors who deal with it must take responsibility. It is on that basis that you allowed limited use of the medication if you don't have full evidence, then you can allow whoever is taking charge of that to collect basic information about the safety of the patient so that they must take responsibility for whatever outcome they get. If a doctor says, I think this will help, then the doctor becomes the ultimate person and that will then utilize the particular uh, drug. And then uh, on that basis, the doctor can be allowed to use it. And that if that doctor uses it and anything untoward happens, you can't say the regulator has said to you, you are safe. But the regulator is here to protect the South African. SAPRA is not about protecting the interests of pharmaceutical company. SAPRA is about protecting the public. SAPRA has to you know, ensure that they analyze all the research finding around the development of a particular product until they are satisfied that there is nothing unsafe about that product to protect South Africans. That is what SAPRA is all about. And therefore, 
if they are not sure that this would actually protect South Africa, they will say so. In which case, they will say the report, the findings, and the uh, information that's available is inconclusive. But if then there's an insistence from a particular doctor that I'd like to use this particular medication on the basis of this and that that I've seen, then of course there is a leeway to get the doctor to help the patient on the basis that the doctor has to take responsibility. That's really how this is, this is being meaning. So I think that we must understand it from that perspective. Then the uh, next question comes from the Honorable uh, Ismail, uh, talking about the second uh, booster from Johnson & Johnson. The current uh, approach to Johnson & Johnson vaccine is not to use a booster. Uh, there has been discussions with various other manufacturers who have suggested that they could combine the technology and therefore maybe also use a booster. There were others, for example, when we raised the issue of, uh, uh, when we raised the issue of AstraZeneca, there were some scientists who uh, were speculating that uh, maybe in future we might end up using uh, you know, AstraZeneca and then when Johnson & Johnson's uh, um, um, uh, vaccine comes, we can use it as a booster. It was in the context of that debate, but not because that is what the protocol is on the use of the Johnson & Johnson. We haven't got any further feedback from Johnson & Johnson about uh, <clears throat> uh, whatever this uh, two-day schedule that uh, Honorable Ismail is talking, is talking about. We have only one uh, approach, and that is the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccines will be administered to an individual, and then we expect that within 14 days, they, uh, after 14 days, we should see the development of immunity and that uh, there will not be a need for a, a second booster as you move into the future. So the trials that were done were based on this approach and out of that process, we have felt therefore that uh, uh, there, there isn't a need to consider combining Johnson & Johnson with something else. What goes on in the social media is not necessarily a matter of authority, uh, I, I think that uh, we, I haven't seen it myself, unfortunately. However, uh, I would say what we say about Johnson & Johnson is what we know, and that's what we're going to implement as a country. And so there could well be a debate going on with views, with suggestions, with uh, you know hearsays, with everything that comes on the social media. But uh, it's difficult to say social media, uh, a, a report from social media could actually uh, make us change something in the uh, management of this vaccine. So at this point, I would say we will continue with it in the way that uh, has been uh, described, uh, that uh, it's a once-off dose, and that uh, we only need one dose, and that uh, uh, we've uh, described how we want to use it inside the country. Then- uh, Minister, it's said by Professor the Mendes. What is that, Honorable Ismail? You don't wait now, you come in. Sorry, uh, Chair, just for clarity, uh, it's not actually just a social media. It's it's a fact that Professor Menti put it onto a media statement. I mean, he he was interviewed and it was said. So it's not just a social media statement. It's from a, from, it's from a professor that I know the minister and, you know, the advisory committee speaks to. Okay. The Honourable said that he's uh, talking about something that was in the social media. And I'm saying... I am not aware of what was in the social media. We can follow it up. It came from a professor. We can just check what that's all about. 
I'm not aware of it. So when we know about it, we can talk about it. But right now, we are not having any advice from Johnson & Johnson that there should be any booster provided for in these doses that we're dealing with. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. If there's any issue that's coming from social media, uh, from uh, uh, Professor Matthew that you, you have seen, uh, you, we can share that and then see what uh, uh, that says and then we can follow it up. We'll obviously refer it to our ministerial advisory committee because what uh, most of the academics would do, they would come out and, uh, they would come out, uh, and say, <clears throat> this is my view, but you know, a view from uh, a person uh, would mean that they must debate with the others. It doesn't mean that uh, is necessarily a change in policy. So when we know what it's all about, we can talk about it. But the honorable member said it's a social media. That's why I'm referring to it as social media because I'm only responding, responding to that aspect of it. Then uh, the other issue relates to um, uh, tracking adverse reactions to vaccines. Uh, all those who have gone through the vaccines have been advised to report uh, if there should be any adverse uh, reactions. And uh, we have not received yet any one person who has uh, either been found to have uh, suffered this kind of uh, adverse reaction that's been reported uh, in the USA. We've also, <clears throat> uh, uh, the, we, the, we, we have also not had any uh, serious reports that are suggesting that uh, we are picking up adverse effects from the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Fortunately, all those who are in this particular uh, uh, cohort have actually been recorded as part of a study. So there's an obligation to report uh, uh, against, uh, uh, um, to report if there's any particular challenge that is coming from um, the, the, the uh, vaccination. The, this is a serious allegation that the honorable member is making that uh, healthcare workers have been muzzled, they've been told not to speak about it. So I'm gonna request a direct issue with the honorable member. Please write to me and give me the specifics and the details so we can find out what is actually happening there. There is no way you can muzzle a health worker. In the first instance, the bulk of them tend to understand the issues of uh, drug reactions and adverse effects of any um, medical product that's administered or pharmaceutical product that's administered. So they would obviously know that they need to seek assistance. But in the, to the extent that you are aware of this information, I don't believe it's accurate uh, information that was conveyed to these particular health workers because there's no requirement for anyone to hide any side effects or any symptoms. And so I'm going to request that the honorable member write directly to me and give me the details. If there is such, we'll obviously have to deal with it. And uh, we have not, it has not been brought to our attention. But now that uh, the member is bringing it to our attention, we'd like to get more details and we can follow it up. But when you do come across any member as a, a public representative, please indicate to them that they actually have an obligation to report the side effects, any adverse effects that they feel they have an obligation. During this Sisonga protocol, it's even more so. But even afterwards, when we do the normal uh, vaccination rollout program, Every person who's got any symptoms, any side effects, any concerns, they need to report all that. And it is important for us to send that message. Because that's the basis on which we are now setting up the no-fall compensation fund so that people must not feel that they can actually suffer harm and therefore uh, not be able to get uh, that matter addressed. We need to make sure that 
this is made very well known that no one can be silenced when it comes to any possible side effects they might be suffering. Uh, let that be examined so that we know what exactly is the cause of the problem. We will then establish whether the cause are linked between the vaccine and the uh, uh, symptoms that the individual is, is, is uh, uh, experiencing. So there should not be any hesitation amongst the members of this portfolio committee that we will not accept any muzzling. We will always make sure that all our members uh, of uh, uh, staff uh, send the same and correct message if you have any uh, uh, symptoms that are un uh, un uncomfortable, just come back to us and report so that we can record. It's to our benefit to know, because we're going to be rolling out to millions of people, if there are any issues to be, con to be concerned with. In our case, uh, we would then use to monitor. Uh, that's why we're doing this SOGA protocol. We'll do a similar kind of uh, uh, post-market surveillance with Pfizer as well, just to make sure that in a larger uh, a cohort of uh, vaccinees, do we pick up anything that is worth uh, for, uh, focusing on as a matter of concern? So that is how we would like to deal with it, uh, honorable members. Thank you for raising the issue with us, but uh, we have not been aware. We will just make sure that uh, when we get your details, we'll investigate the matter and take it forward. Be aware as well that uh, in this current Sisonga uh, <clears throat> protocol, we have ethics committees that have to obviously oversee any possibility of uh, infringement of uh, human rights of any individual participating. As we go into the future, the same principle will still apply to all those who will have uh, received the vaccine that you cannot hide the adverse effects of any drug. It needs to be acted upon. So that's, that's my reassurance to you. And so, uh, Honorable uh, Chairperson, uh, Honorable Members, thank you very much. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be discussing the issues with the committee. We will, uh, uh, when the next opportunity arrives, come to share the progress that would have uh, uh, been able to register at that point. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I'll pause at this point. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you very much, Minister, and thanks to your team. May I request that uh, if you are going to do um, uh, another public update, which you normally do on webinar, Please, can the team uh, of your office uh, inform us on time? We will, some of us want to join and listen to that part. Uh, so we'll sometimes get those invitations a bit late. Uh, then so we'll appreciate if they can come on time. Uh, thanks so much for this um, uh, presentation and also the engagement. We appreciate it. And uh, we will probably be in a fortnight's time, get another uh, interaction with you. But the work that you are doing, and the flexibility that you show as a department, as a, a leader, is actually appreciated. It's a moving target, moving quite fast. And we really hope that uh, you are going to have a, a very short pause with J&J. Of course, the issue raised by the Honorable Kwahube, just six patients out of six million. You are taking precautions, but probably very temporary suspension. And we are looking forward to hearing an update on this matter. Uh, thanks very much for that, and uh, we are now released. Uh, honorable members, let us take a short break, a real short one, uh, five to ten minutes. Thank you very much, Chairperson. We'll make sure we inform you on time. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, Honorable members, let's take a short break. Uh, what time is it now? Let me just check. 12.32, according to my words. 12, uh, 
12.40, we come back. Uh, that's about 12, eight minutes. Yeah, we'll be done. Yeah, a short break, eight minutes. Thank you. Thank you.